Welcome to Words with Wags. So I'm really excited you guys are tuning in because I'm pumped about the podcast in general, but this first episode is setting expectations sky high, so a lot to live up to, but I think you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, so in this episode, it's Jordan Walker. He's a hit songwriter in Nashville. He wrote one of Luke Combs's biggest hits to date, and you can discover which song that is if you don't know later in the episode. Uh, so he talks about that and how that came to be. Uh, he was also in the duo Walker McGuire, uh, which still has a dedicated following. They have like 400,000 monthly listeners on Spotify, which is insane, uh, even though they went their separate ways a couple years ago, which he gets into. But just a great conversation. We talked about pretty much everything music related, unrelated to music. I think you're going to enjoy it, whether or not you're a country music fan. Uh, one of my favorite things about the episode was we were talking about how the great music artists who stand out and actually last in town they do so because they know who they are and what they want and while Jordan isn't an artist anymore you'll definitely hear how he knows who he is and what he wants just at like an overall level of, of content uh, he knows who he is as a songwriter who he is as a person uh, and that and that definitely comes across so it's, it's really cool uh, we talked for quite a while and probably could have talked even longer uh, but I promise you it's worth it, even if you see this as a longer episode. Uh, quick note, he's a Packers fan as well as I am, so we start off talking about the Packers for quite a bit. Uh, so if that doesn't interest you, check out the show notes. Uh, I have a timestamp where each of the different conversations begins. Uh, so we recorded this after week one of the Packers where they got just uh, their butts kicked. Uh, so this is airing after week two. Um, so keep that in mind in the context. Uh, quickly, before we get into the episode, it would be awesome and a great help if you would hit subscribe or follow so you don't miss upcoming episodes. And if you actually like the podcast, leave a review, give it a five stars, all of that. But enough geek yakking for me. Uh, let's get right into the episode with hit songwriter Jordan Walker. All right. So uh, for starters, no one can see this, but Jordan's like telling me how to be a podcaster and like fixing the soundboard and shit. So. <laughs> He's, I think you're like a, an assistant producer now. Yeah, yeah. I'll just be, I'll be on the show. You can just label me, send me the royalties. Whatever. Okay, yeah. We could do that. <laughs> just uh, Venmo me. <laughs> we could Venmo. Oh, fair, fair, fair. All right. So we're both Packers fans. Uh, I think. So we're recording this on what is even today? The 14th. Today's a Tuesday, right? Tuesday. Yeah. So this episode will be coming out next week. So hopefully by this point, Packers will be one and one. One and one. One and one. However, I feel like I got the better of the deal because. I didn't have to watch a single oh, a single man. minute. So what what went wrong? Because I I true I haven't even watched highlights. The yet. shorter answer would be the answer to the question of what went right. Okay, well, we came out and we looked really good. Like the uniforms were crisp, the field was mowed great. This is not good. And everything after that went to shit. It was just bad. Was it Rogers? Was it everyone? It was just kind of it just kind of looked rusty and sloppy. Like I, we were talking before we came on about. You know, we didn't play any players in the preseason. I think we set like 30 guys. And when I say we, I mean the Packers because I talk like a Packers fan. Like, of I'm course. an owner. You know of what course. I mean? Um, but, man, it's just like we came out and it just it just didn't look good from the jump. Um, Joe Barry, new defensive coordinator, he's putting in a system. And guys kind of look lost. There was a lot of pointing, what's going on kind of thing. I mean, that's to be expected. It's week one with a new D.C. and nobody's played the preseason. So, it's like. I kind I told my buddies I was watching it with Saints fans. I was like, it's going to be a blowout one way or the other. Either we're going to win by 30 or you're going to win by 30. And unfortunately, it was the latter. 
the the one clip I saw, I mean, I saw two. I saw Jordan Love's throw to Cobb, mm-hmm. which I think was Randall Cobb's only highlight. He played like five plays, I believe. Yeah. So great offseason acquisition so far. <laughs> uh, but uh, Kevin King still uh, looked like – I'm trying to be – I'm trying – I'm not an asshole, but – he looks like he plays without arms sometimes. Yeah, it's um so I, I feel bad. I always for some reason I take Kevin King's back up until the NFC championship last year. So his rookie year in Green Bay, um, I was on radio tour. Um and I was up in Green Bay at the radio station and I walked into a Walgreens and sure enough standing there in front of me in line was Kevin King on oh, like shit. the third day of camp. I've got a picture that I'll send to you. Damn. Um and so I'm like, yo, you're the, you're the, you know, he was actually not a first round pick. He was the first pick at the second round because we didn't have a first rounder that year. Right. Right before TJ Watt. Yeah, exactly. Right before. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm it's not fine. mad. I'm not mad. No. Um, but I actually liked the pick because we were short on corner. Uh, Hayward had just left and it was, uh, Micah Hyde had just left and it was like, we needed DBs. Yeah. Oh, he's, so yeah. I didn't mind the pick. Um, he came out, he was long, he was fast. He came out of the Pete Kwiatkowski's uh, defensive system, which is like producing great pros. Right. So I'm like, maybe this kid out of Washington is the truth, you know? His rookie year, has a good year, starts, plays a lot. Second year, it's kind of like, okay, is he going to come on in the third year? And then last year in the NFC Championship game, I was like, I don't like this guy. I'm, I'm not a fan. But it's, it, to me, it feels like he plays in slow motion. Like, and I don't know if it's just because he's so tall and long that he just looks slower on the field, but I just feel like guys run by him very, right. like a lot. Right. Where some guys, they, they play slow. Not they play slow, but the game comes slow to them mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, it just looks so easy. Yeah. Where Like Jair. Jair. Jair to yes. me is the prototypical corner. Like if you were, t- if they played 60 snaps. Jair, you could put a camera on him all 60 snaps, and he just looks like he knows what he's doing. It doesn't matter if he gets burnt or if he has a pick six. He just looks like – he looks the part. Right. Kevin King looks lost a lot of the time. And I feel bad saying it because I think he is a good player. Right. I just think they're – I just think he just doesn't fit right now. And he's getting picked on. Well, yeah. Like, if Jair gets beat, it's not a death sentence. You're like, okay, he's quick enough. He's going to make up ground. Or he's – He's doing it for a reason, but like Kevin King, he he plays like he can make up for it, but he can't. He can't. Yeah, he just, he's, he's not got quick great enough. ball skills. If the ball's yeah. around him, like within arm's reach, he's gonna make a play. But like the play that really, to me, turned the whole NFC Championship game last year was right before the half. Scotty right. Miller ran right by him. Tom Brady throws the perfect ball, and they score. And it was just kind of like at that point, being a Packers fan, I mean, you know, I was like, that play is going to haunt us. Like. I don't know why. Well, I'm getting, it's, I'm getting it's mad flashbacks. <laughs> it I mean, is, dude. It's, it it's, is. The, it's the Giants oh, in, in dude. 11. It's it's just like, yeah, it's like whenever you see one little thing like that, and you're like, and people are like, dude, it's one touchdown. It's only halftime. Like, Packers are a second-half team. It's like, yeah, I know. But I would have loved to not give them seven right there because we basically, basically handed it to them. You got King right. standing there, and Scotty Miller just ran by him like he was in quicksand. And it's just it. It be I could you could have made that throw. You know what I mean? We any of us could have. Right. And it's just like that player out there. I was like, that's the turning point. Wait, and, and against Brady, you just can't do that. Like yeah. you knew the entire second half, King was gonna get targeted. Yeah. Like you just knew from there. It was it was just bad news bears. Uh, did you uh, did you see this off season when they were talking to Brady and they were like uh, somebody? I think Willie McGinnis called him out on NFL Network and was like, Tom, I've noticed like the last couple of years, anytime you compliment a defender. You're actually 
very subtly saying, this is the guy we're going to attack. And if you noticed NFC Championship week, he was like, they've got a really good defense. You know, that number 20, that corner, he's really long. He's got great ball skills. And it was basically him going, hey, bro, we're coming at you. Like, you're the weak link. <laughs> because he is. In that secondary, unfortunately, he is. He is. Yeah. Like, Amos and Savage, great on the back end. They're fine. Jair, top three corner. Like, love him. Um, I even think Stokes is going to be a great pro. He's fast. He made a great play the other day. He had a pass breakup. He was only in there for five plays and made a, made a difference in two of them. Wait, he only, t- he only played five plays? Yeah, so they started Jesus. King. They started King oh on the outside. God. And then Joe Barry went went dime a couple times where he put Jair and Chandon Sullivan in the slot and went Stokes and King on the corners on the outside. And Stokes ended up running down a shallow cross from right to left and broke a pass up on third down, which was awesome. Um, I think he's going to be a player. I mean, for a first-rounder, I've got a couple of buddies that are Georgia fans, and they just say the dude's a baller. He's got like, he's got like the moxie. It seems yeah. like I hate to use that word, but he just, it's just looks like, like a baller. Yes, yeah. See, totally. like he's another one of those guys. He just looks the part. Like to me, I remember watching the draft. I was in uh, San Jose, California, on radio tour, and I remember watching the draft where we traded back to get we traded back and got Jair when we could have took Derwin James. And at first, I was oh. so mad because I was like, Derwin James is our guy. Like. That's a safety. We need him. Morgan Burnett. Or Ha Ha was still there. Morgan was about on his last year. Oh, man. Those are some days. Ha Ha's not even in the league anymore. But, like, that was like, I was like, dude, this is the guy to put next to Ha Ha. We're going to be great. And then they traded back. And sure enough, the San Diego Chargers took Derwin. And then they were like, oh, the Packers select Jerry Alexander corner out of Louisville. And I was like, I don't even know who that is. And then I saw the highlights, and I saw him do the chicken Sway, dance, the, and I was like, like yeah, "I like this yeah. guy. I like this." And I and I do. He's 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 top three for me as far as Packers go. Like I've got his jersey. I'm all in. I love him. Like current Packers or all time. Current Packers for current sure. Packers. Current Packers all time. He's top ten. Oh, that's top quick. ten. Yeah. All right, okay. I, because dude, I just think he's got it. I think, I think the Packers are about to pay him. I think you have to. Like in today's Absolutely. in today's uh, age. You have to have a CB1. You have to. You have to have a guy that when it comes playoff time, like I don't care if you put him on Tyreek Hill in the Super Bowl or DK in the NFC, NFC Championship, he's going to work his ass off for you. Like you have to have that guy. You have to. And, and they have some tough decisions coming after this year, like no doubt, like mm-hmm. especially your pass rushers, like yeah. Zadarius, Preston. But I feel like some of those guys are – not replaceable, but you can find more yeah. of those elite well, guys. Well, and Rashawn Gary is going to come in. Like, like sure. he's he's great. I, I think Rashawn's really good. I think if we let Preston walk after this year, it's not going to make or break the team. But I think if you let Jair walk and you go with Stokes and <laughs> Kevin King, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> like, you're in big trouble, especially in this in, in 2021, 2022 football, where it's like four wide all the time. Yeah, you need dudes. Yeah. You just need dudes. Yeah. All right, so if I were to wave a magic wand and you're the GM of the Packers. Oh, man, oh, man. I do this in my, I do this before I go to bed every night. I look myself in the mirror and I have this question. What, what will it mean, like what will need to happen for Aaron Rodgers to be the starting quarterback next year? Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Win, lose, appear. I think, oh, man. I think appearing there will be good enough to do like a, a one-year add-on. But I think what my problem is, I think two things have to happen. We have to re-sign 17. We have to get Devontae in the building to start of next year. If he walks, Rodgers walks. And I, I told my buddy Teddy, I was like, he's a Broncos fan. So he was like, Rodgers oh, is coming geez. to the Broncos. Da, 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 da. And I was like, honestly, dude, if it's AFC, cool. Like, he, you can't have players forever. I mean, unless you're a Patriots or now a Bucks fan. Like, you can't win no. forever. You know what I mean? That but, usually doesn't work. Yeah. 
But I think uh, I think we have to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, I would love to say win it. If we win it, I think it's so hard for him to leave. He he talks about so much about how he loves the organization and he loves Green Bay, and he's on the Pat McAfee show every Tuesday, and he always talks about how much he loves the fans and he loves right. Green Bay. And I believe him. Like he's totally. he's a very candid dude, and he's not just saying that for spite. But I think whenever it comes down to him talking about players leaving that were great locker room guys and good influences for the younger guys, I think he not only is he talking about the past, but I think he's talking about Devontae Adams right now. Like you've yes. got to sign this cat. Because I'm not just saying as a Packers fan, he's the best route runner in the game. It's ridiculous. He's dude, it's and the, he's not he's like he's not even the fastest guy on the field at any given time. Like MVS is our is our speedster. But like Devontae to me like one on one, it's it's game over. It's lights out. I was at the Seahawks playoff game um, two years ago when he ran the oh. post corner and was wide open. And I remember I was standing with my buddy Kenny, and it was like third and two or third and six or something. And he runs this route, and before he even breaks out of the route, I see the pylon in the back corner, and I'm like, he's going there. Yeah. And as soon as I see him, I was like jumping up. I got a video. I'm like, he's open, he's open, he's open. You couldn't even see the field because I'm jumping. My phone's going crazy. <laughs> but I think to go back the GM thing, I think you got to get to the Super Bowl. But I also think 17's got to come back because if you if you let him walk, I think Rodgers walks, and I think they go somewhere together. Together, that, that's that is my hot take. Devontae and Rodgers play together next year, no matter what. No matter well, and, and team, I, I feel like if they produce as well as they did the last year, the last couple of years, teams will yeah, teams will accommodate. They'll, imagine they'll clear up some space. Imagine don't I don't even want to what no, teams? No, okay, so the Broncos are like the front runner, I think they're they're making room, but imagine. <laughs> this is crazy to think about. Rodgers and Devontae as Raiders, okay? Imagine that division with Herbert, Mahomes, and Rodgers all in the same division. That's I don't tough. think Rodgers would do that just because it would be too much competition. But imagine Rodgers and Devontae in Vegas. Like, Carr, let Carr walk. I mean, oh, easily. Yeah, like you definitely take Rodgers over Carr. I don't care how old or young either one of them are. But um, I think either way, 12 and 17 play together next year. Is there – like what percentage – would you say, okay, Rodgers and Devontae back, just Rodgers back, or just Devontae? Because like, part of me also okay. thinks, okay, if you are really committed to Jordan Love is our dude and we're going to have a, what is it, a three- or four-year window on him on his yeah. rookie contract. Bring Devontae back. Right. Regardless. Right. I'm, I'm with you. I think we're thinking the same way. I think if Rodgers has to walk, okay. But, but at the same- they need to re-sign Devontae this year, not in the offseason. It needs to be done – before the trade deadline, like before anybody can talk, like they need to get this done in the next six weeks. Um, so I would say percentage-wise, man, the Devontae thing to me is like 70-30 Packers way because I think he does want to stay. And I think he can cement his legacy as the greatest Packers receiver ever if he's there another five, six years. Like I really Easily. believe that. Um, and then if Devontae comes back, Rodgers to me is 70-30. Right now, Rodgers is 50-50. I don't think he's in. I don't think he's in for next year. I don't think he's out for next year. I don't think he even knows if he wants to play football next year. I honestly know. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, he said up until the week of uh, training camp, he was like, uh, yeah, I literally thought about it until like that Wednesday. And I had a report on Monday. Like he was. Do you believe that though? I don't know, man. A guy like him who's like the ultimate competitor. Uh, yeah. You've got to think he was thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to come back. Like did he but, just wake up one day and said, you know what? 
now I feel like playing football. I, I don't know. <laughs> he's having coffee and he's right. like, he's watching Good Morning Football and he's like, Kay I, Adams is like, is Rogers coming back? And he's like, you know what? I think I am going right. to come back. Yes, I like, think, you know what? I, good question, Kay. I am going to come back. I've had I've had enough fun like playing the ukulele, learning guitar, like going I've on tried awesome all the vacations. Hobbies. Yeah, like he he definitely he definitely intentionally fucked with oh, yeah. the front office. Oh yeah. And oh dude, I like I keep bringing him up. My buddy Teddy, he's. One of my favorite guys to talk football with. We kind of think the same way. Um, it, people think that Rodgers is just kind of talking out of his ass a lot of times. I have a deep, deep respect for him because I think everything he says is so calculated. I just think the guy knows. Like, I mean, whether he's talking about, you know, X's and O's or Jimmy's and Joe's or, you know, the the damn restaurants in Green Bay or flying and doing this and, like, Whenever they, whenever they were doing the, um, the uh, inter squad scrimmages and stuff, and they were bringing oh, other teams yeah. like the Jets, Jets this year, and they were like, they asked Rogers, they were like, uh, so we got the Jets coming in, Robert Sala, you know, uh, Michael Floor, Matt's little brother. Um, what do you, uh, what do you, what are you looking forward to with those practices? He goes, I'm looking forward to him being over, like <laughs> just straight like, up, just straight up, straight up. And like to me, like most people just pass that off, but he's said it every year for the past ten years that he hates the idea of him. Yeah, which I mean, like. Not one player is bigger than the team, quote unquote. But he sure made it seem like it this offseason. No, he's he's the type of guy like in your in your group chat or like your friend group. Yeah. Like all your buddies, they have like that one or two thing that you know you know how to push their buttons. Yeah. You know the right things to say. That's like, <laughs> oh dude, it'll be totally ridiculous. He's got us fans like dangling off the hook. He's dude. got the fan. He's got he's got Lafleur. I feel like him and Lafleur are fine. Like yeah. they got a great yeah, relationship. Yeah. But yeah, the front office he, in the media, he knows. He knows which buttons to push. Oh, for sure. And like, it's so funny. Like he, when he posts on Instagram, like obviously the last dance thing, and then the Clay Matthews thing, and then the picture of him and Lafleur the other day, and it was like, we they said we wouldn't get along. Like, he's so good at social media. And the thing that kills me is the only pro quarterback that's better than him is Tom Brady. Like <laughs> both both dudes have somehow gotten so good at social media. Yeah. Like Tom Brady's social media game is. Unbelievable! It's the best. It's the it's the best. It is. You're right. Like he has gotten way cooler. Yeah. I mean, there was a phase where you're like, this dude's like people don't like him because he's winning all the time yeah. and like easy roads. Like I love Tampa Bay Tom. I yes. I despised New England Tom. Like yeah. if Tom Brady goes out and wins another ring this year, it'll kill me because he'll have to get to the Packers. But then again, I'll be like, I'm watching something that's never going to happen again, and I actually like this guy. Like, good for him. But if he was still winning rings up in Gillette Stadium, I'd be like, fuck this guy. Yeah. I hate him. I hate him so much. No, he's... Tampa Tom's the man. Tampa... It, and I hate to say that. Yeah, because... <laughs> it, it sucks because you're like... Rogers, like... He's been the dude in the NFC for forever. And all of a sudden, it's like... First year Tom's there, you're like... Boom. Ring. Of course. And yeah. Like, that was always in the back of my head. I'm like, there's no way. Like, I mean, they're going to match up. And I'm like... He's just better. See, talented. I was the same way, dude. Like all of last year, watching, I remember like watching the Bucks and watching them come into their own, and watching them, you know, coming to Green Bay and beat us. Like before that game, dude, I was so confident we were going to Super Bowl. Like I was looking at, I was going, I was buying Super Bowl tickets. I was going to the game. Right. I had told my wife and business manager, like I'm going. Like I'm gonna buy tickets and I'm going to Tampa in two weeks. And they were like, okay, if Packers go, you can go. And then. Scotty Miller scores right before half, and I was like, I'm not going. Tampa's going to win this game. And it was like, I'm with you in the sense of, like, as I was watching the whole year, by, like, week seven or eight, I'm like, okay, they're kind of figuring it out. And then Devin White decides to be the greatest middle linebacker in the history of football for about eight for games. For real. For real. And it was just like – and you, you 
I've I've gotten to the point now where like I want to hate Tom Brady, but I'm at the age now where like I'm watching him do things at 40 years old, 42 that I'm just like I'm impressed. It's just respect. I'm, uh, just yeah. respect, dude. Like yeah. if he goes and wins two more rings and he gets nine. I'll be able to tell my kids, like, hey, I got to watch that guy play every snap. Basically. You know how stupid that sounds? I know. Isn't that wild? Think, think about, I just said two more Super Bowls, and that would mean he has nine. Nine. Not, almost two hands full. I mean, that stresses me out. You're talking like Bill Russell, like the pictures of Bill Russell. Yeah. Him and Tom Brady now. Holding his, like, Super Bowl rings yeah. and, like. What's his quote? What's the best? What's your favorite ring? The next one. Yeah. God. No, but he has gotten cooler. He is. Um. I saw a tweet the other day from you. You said, I think it was yesterday. I'm curious. You said something about you don't do fantasy football anymore. Oh, man. Yeah. Is that I, true? Yeah, I totally gave up on it like six years ago. See, I, I stopped two or three years ago. Dude, it's just so much easier. As it, a Packers it fan, it's so much. Even just as a football fan, okay. like, you now, appreciate now, it better. Now, hold on. Let me, let, me, let me go against you on that. Now, let's say you and I were a fan of the Houston Texans. And there's nothing else to root for? Exactly. Okay, then fantasy football is like all you have, bro. Like you're not yes. going to win that division. You're not going to go to the playoffs. You're, I mean, Deshaun's not going to play a snap for you. Like, imagine being a fan of a team who's just not good. Like who's a who's a 500 or worse team, the Lions, <laughs> per se. You know what I mean? Like, ima- like that is no. the kind of person no. who would live and breathe fantasy football. Now, me about six years ago. I remember maybe seven. I'd been I moved to town in 2012. So yeah, I was like right after I moved to town. So it might have been eight years ago. And I remember just like all my buddies and like where I was working or all my songwriter buddies like, yo, we're gonna start this fantasy league. And I was like, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. I'm not mm-hmm. just gonna give you a hundred bucks because a on Sunday I'm gonna get up and all I'm gonna do is watch Packers highlights and Packers game day. And I'm not even gonna worry about this fantasy lineup. I'm probably gonna draft all Packers. So if we have a bad week, right. I'm gonna That's lose. It. That's it. No. Same so. way for me. Like it was it got to a point where I was like, Yes, you watch the Packer game on Sundays, but other than that, like I didn't feel like I was watching football. I was like oh, I feel like I was like a mathematician, like, okay, <laughs> uh, this dude needs to get like thirteen points yeah. or he needs to have like tss. I mean, I, I won fantasy one year and it's no different from anyone else. Like Greg Jennings needed, I think, eighteen yards receiving and I was playing against him. Yeah. He had twelve, and I won. And I'm yeah. like, that's you know, you know what? I was Absolutely. rooting against him. I know, dude. Isn't that isn't that the worst? Like, it is. Whenever, like, I think the thing that actually did it for me that totally just screwed me on it was I had Adrian Peterson on my team one year in a keeper league, and I had him like three years in a row, which is a good fantasy, pick. which is a great fantasy pick back in 2011 and 12. Yep. And I would start him every single week, except for the two weeks that he would play the Packers. And as you know, he's a Packer killer. So I would sit him just because I didn't want to root for him against the Packers. Wait, you sat him against yeah. the Packers? Yeah, and then he would score 35 points, and I'd be like, what the fuck am I doing? What am I doing? Like, And that's when I were like, I looked at myself in the mirror, and I was like, you're not a fantasy guy. Like, To me, there are people who are all in. Like, I have buddies that play in five, six, seven leagues, Sam, dude. Sam. And I'm just like – and they're like, I get hit up every single year by 10 different people. Yo, doing this fantasy league, $100 a guy, $50 a guy, $20 a guy. Losers got to get a tattoo. I'm like, you guys are idiots. I'm out. Like yeah. I'm, I, I, you ask me every year, and I tell you every year I don't play. But I was with Adam Craig on Sunday, and that's what I, I was, that, that's that's what I was tweeting about. Yeah. Is he was like we were sitting there and we get, <laughs> we're watching the we watch the, the Seahawks game because he's a Seahawks fan. He's from he's from Washington, and then it rolls right in the Packers game. We start watching the Packers game, and about halftime, Rogers had like three points fantasy wise. I mean, I think we had run we'd run like twenty plays offensively. I'm surprised he had three. Yeah, and so <laughs> you're probably right. 
And uh, as we're getting in the cars, because we're all going to play softball, like we play in a softball Sunday night league. And Adam <laughs> was getting in the car at my house, and he goes, every single one of my fantasy players had the worst game of their career today. <laughs> I just like, I just started laughing so hard because a I had a good amount of alcohol that day, and I just it was just the funniest thing because he was so defeated, like. And he said, I might as well just give the guy running the league my 110 bucks and be like, yeah, hell with it. Just take it. That's a, that's a really bad feeling for week one fantasy. Yeah, week like, one. I and mean, he's like – and the bad thing is is he he took Mostert, and Mostert's out with ACL. He took Devontae, and Devontae had five catches for like 60 yards, which is like the most pedestrian game ever for Devontae. Which is like mediocre for a flex guy. Yeah, exactly. Like but he just like – dude, he had such a – I mean, it was so bad. He said every, every player on my fantasy team had the worst game of their career. It was hilarious. Damn. Uh, so speaking of Packers, you're from Texas, right? Yep, yep. So like you told me this once, but for anyone listening, like, how did you become a Packers fan growing up in Texas? Because there's another team there that was yeah, good yeah. thirty years ago. <laughs> Fifty years ago, it seems yeah. like. Um, but, but they haven't won a playoff game since. I know, dude. Um so man, I grew up about two hours from Dallas. I'm right in between Dallas and Amarillo, middle of nowhere, right? And uh growing up as a kid, everybody loved the Cowboys. I mean, that's just what you did. Sundays were just like as soon as church was over, you went home, sat on the grill, uh, turned on the grill, sat on the couch, watched the Cowboys. That was what it was. Sure. And I remember I started playing Little League football when I was like seven. Okay, this would have been 97. Okay. So okay. Packers had just won the Super Bowl. Favre had just won uh, MVP. He was going for his second. Face of the league. Face of the league. Yep. And I went to the game mid-November of 97. Packers come to, our, uh, at the time, oh, Irving yeah. against the Cowboys. And I'll never forget my mom – this is hilarious how the story went down. My mom, whenever we were picking out jersey numbers for Little League, there was a number seven, a number eight, and a number four. Okay. A number, and was, a number eight and a number four. Yeah. Okay. So eight was Aikman. Aikman. Obviously, seven was Elway. Mm-hmm. Like these coaches had ordered these three single digit numbers for the three quarterbacks. I was one of the quarterbacks. And I went to this game on a Sunday, far through for like 350 and four touchdowns, went absolutely bananas. And they beat the Cowboys, and I was there. And I remember just being like, I think that guy is my favorite player. Because I was so enamored with the Cowboys at the time. Like, everybody was there because they had just come off back-to-back. Or no, they had just won one, and they were going later on after the Broncos. But yes. it was just so funny because, like, Troy Aikman was just a statue back there. Like, he, he wasn't fun to watch. Like, he handed the ball to Emmett, he threw the ball to Michael. I guess is what he did. And, I mean, it worked. Don't and a great offensive line. He oh, had the do best it. offensive line in the history of football. Ever. And then I watched Favre. And this guy is running around like he's at recess. Like, and I remember <laughs> just so I remember just being Forget like. Forget about that. Yeah, I remember just being like, this dude is just mayhem. Like, and then you watch the videos on, like, NFL films where it's like, no more rocket ball. And he's just out there looking at Holmgren and <laughs> looking at Andy Reid and Mariucci just being like, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. And uh, we're going to win games. Yeah. And I just remember being like, I remember going to practice that next, like, Tuesday, Little League practice. And they were like, all right, everybody pick your numbers, quarterbacks first. And my buddy Darren Williams was also a quarterback, and he picked number seven. So I had between oh. four and eight, and my mom was like, pick eight. It's Aitman. It's Aitman. Because seven was Vic. He was at Virginia Tech at the time. And my buddy Darren was like, I'm a big Vic fan. You know what I mean? Vitek Vic was Yeah, dude, like he was Chico. sick. And oh, I was like, I want to go with number four. I want to be Brett Favre. And my mom was, like, mad. Like, legit mad. Like, I can't believe you didn't pick Troy Evans. They, like, ship you to boarding school? Or <laughs> I feel like in, ta- like <laughs> they in tried. Texas, that's, like. They tried. And so, from then on, man, you can yeah. ask my mom. She gets so mad, like, 
and I'm a Packers fan. Like, every time the Packers lose, she calls me, FaceTimes, like, oh, you guys suck. And I'm like, you guys are not relevant. Like, no. you have the biggest TV deal in the history of football, but that's all you got. Jerry Jones, incredible business manager, horrible GM. Right. Like, it's just what it is. Yeah. And it's just funny. So that's kind of how, man, the Packers fandom began. And then I was in college. I was a sophomore in college in 2010 when we won the Super Bowl against Pittsburgh, where my wife's from. So she's a Steelers fan. We didn't know each other at the time, luckily. Probably wouldn't be married. I was going to say, how um, often do you remind her of oh, that? Oh, dude. Every time we talk <laughs> about the ball, I'm like, I'm like, dude, the last time the Steelers, like, they went to the Super Bowl. Remember, it was like 2010. Who'd y'all play? And she's like, she gets so mad. Because <laughs> she's awesome. She's actually all in on Pittsburgh sports. Which is a good, I respect that. Amazing. Major respect. Dude. Yep. And Pittsburgh, to me, A, one of my favorite cities. Because if you think about it, all three of their major sports teams are the same colors. Yeah, I was just thinking, that is like, a good point. Steelers, Penguins, Pirates. Like, you can walk around that town in a black hat with a yellow P, and you're representing all the Everything. teams. Like it's like that is it's, that is it's perfect. Like yeah. think about why like why did Dallas not do that? Why did like L A not do that? Like why did Chicago not? Chicago's so stupid. They're stupid. Yeah, that's I mean that's that's, that's a, a whole, whole another podcast. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's a long <laughs> list. Uh no, no, definitely. All right, so but yeah, that's how I became a Packers fan, dude. Okay. Watching Farm in '97. All right, so you're you're playing football, your little league. Mm-hmm. Was it always sports? Like, when did, obviously, the reason I know you is, like, your music did. Yeah. Like, when when did it music, was it always there? Or, like, when did music become, uh, like... Music was kind of, I hate the term, but it was kind of a backup plan. Okay. Like, growing up playing sports, um, I mean, I grew up in a small Texas town, so, so football was everything, A. Like, it was, like, Friday church. Like, it's just what you did. Right. And we went to three straight semifinals, sophomore, junior, senior year. Lost all three of them. Never made it to state. So, it's pretty funny. Um, Not funny, but it's funny. Um, But, dude, I always played sports. I was always, like, enamored with baseball. Like, baseball was, like, all summer, every summer, every weekend, four-day weekends, baseball, but 30 games. What position? I kind of was, like, Mr. Utility, which was awesome. Um, I kind of got to do everything. I I pitched up until, like, eighth grade. And then I started catching – and then I played middle infield, corner infield. Played. The only thing I didn't really do is play center because I wasn't fast enough. Like that's basically it. Um, Still pretty good though. Yeah. No, Everything it was else, great. Yeah. I I loved, I loved baseball. I played football and I was good. I wasn't great. Um, but baseball was kind of my love. Played basketball until I was a sophomore. But whenever I was in sixth grade, um, the choir teacher from high school came to the middle school and she was like, "Hey, for seventh grade, we're going to no." Take that back. Fifth grade. She's like, for sixth grade, we're going to have everybody come in at the end of this year, fifth grade, and sing happy birthday to me. And if you're good enough, you get oh, to be in choir. Really? So that was kind of the trial. Damn. You had to sing happy birthday. It was pretty cutthroat, right? So in fifth grade, uh, I remember walking in, and I was so nervous. Like, it was like an audition. It was like American Idol. You know, which to me sounds like, I mean, you're fifth grade, which is like you're young, but you're taking yeah. it serious. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and I, I'd always sang and I had karaoke machines and that's kind of what helped me with this board, by the way, <laughs> but oh, that's I, embarrassing for myself. I, uh, no, this I had, basically a karaoke machine in front of us here. <laughs> Just too much of a dumbass to figure it out. Oh, this is a really nice karaoke machine though. No, uh, I, uh, this isn't from Walmart. Um, but I, man, I just like, I always love singing. My mom sang, my dad sang. And uh, I was always able to sing and uh, kind of got lucky with that. And then in fifth grade, I went and I sang Happy Birthday, and she was like, you're going to be in choir. And I was came home and told mom, I was like, I'm going to be in the choir, you know. Okay. It was cool. And then sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, 
I, you know, I was playing sports, but it wasn't to the level of seriousness of, of high school. Like it was middle school sports, which was still fun and competitive, but choir was kind of like the passion at the time. Okay. And I ended up getting like first chair, um, all state choir in seventh grade for middle That's schoolers. Serious. And then I got second chair in eighth grade and I was so mad that somebody beat me, dude. Uh-huh. I was like, how did I get second chair? There was a Tom Brady ahead of you. Exactly, dude. Mm-hmm. So obviously it rolled into high school. Ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade, and then, um, and then my senior year, I started a band, like because I I was I just started playing guitar. I mean, I was very terrible at guitar, but I know like three chords, and I was like, I can play Sweet Home Alabama and Chicken Fried. So let's start a band. Right, enough that people can sing along. So you can, and I'm in. Yeah. I'll go play at the lake. It'll be awesome. Yeah. And so I actually, my choir teacher that. <laughs> who auditioned me for happy birthday in fifth grade. She retired after my junior year. Okay. And my senior year, I actually won class clown in my senior class. Believe not surprised. Yeah. And so the second day of senior year choir, fifth period after lunch, I was singing in the middle of singing. I had to burp. I just had lunch and I burped really loud. <laughs> and the choir teacher looks at me and she goes, Nope, I'm not taking from you Walker. Get out of here. <laughs> And I was like, that she was she was a new choir teacher, and I was like, what the fuck? Like I had to burp, dude. I just ate like yeah. fried chicken for lunch. Like hold on. So I go down to the office. And I feel I'm, like you do this at listening rounds, a writer <laughs> exactly, rounds, exactly, dude. Like that's it's it's always been who I am. Yeah. And I'm sitting there, and uh, I'm talking to my counselor, and I'm like, I want out of choir. I want out of choir. And she was like, No, like you need to stick it out. Like we can get you a scholarship. Like I was looking at going to North Texas in Denton. They have a great music program. Okay. She was like, we'll get you in at North Texas on scholarship. You can go be in the choir. You can just focus on music there. And I was like, nope, I'm done with choir. I hate this lady. Get me out of here. And so <laughs> I ended up going home for fifth period that day. And as I walk in the door, my mom's like, oh, are you lunch? Like, what's going on? I was like, no, I just quit choir. My mom cried in the kitchen. Cried. No way. She was like, oh, shit. what are you doing? Like, this is your chance to go to college. Da, 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 da. And I was like, nope. I'm going to start a band and da 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 that whole thing. I'm going to show her. Basically. I'm going to show her. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, man, it just kind of like, I had always sang. And then when I, once I got quote unquote kicked out of choir, I was like, I'm going to start a band. I'm just going to focus on this. You know what I mean? And so I, after football season, I uh, started this band and started playing shows around Texas. And I was like, I would literally get out of high school like baseball practice at like six o'clock and I would drive to this little town called Electra, like twenty minutes away. Sounds amazing. Yeah. And I would practice in this like shithole room, not half the size of this, with five guys that all smoked cigarettes. Oh, I can, I can all, smell it. All of them. Like the room the walls were yellow, like and they were painted white, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah. And I'm like eighteen years old, seventeen years old, and I'm just singing for four hours a night. Like horrible for my vocal cords in the smoke. But, but you're young. I'm you're young. Just, I'm like, I'm in it, dude. Yeah, I'm yeah. in it. Let's do this. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so we played like, we probably played like 100 shows in like two or three years. We did this battle of bands. And uh, <laughs> God, this is like bringing back old shit. This is hilarious. We do this battles of band, battle of bands at this thing called Falls Fest. It was in Wichita Falls, Texas. Okay. And um, uh, we there was like six or seven bands. And we were the best band. I'm not just saying that. Like, we were the best band, but this other band called Brazos Brazos Stone. Brazos Stone. Did <laughs> yeah. you guys lose to Brazos Stone? We did because oh, they had more fans there. Like their fans went crazy, so the fan vote screwed us. You know what I mean? We won the judges' vote, but then the fan vote. So they ended up 
I mean, they didn't even they didn't do any better than we did as far as like the long run. But it, I remember that was like we were so pissed sitting in the van like after like can't believe Brad Stone like should we flatten their tires like this is bullshit. <laughs> and it was just kind of like I I I'd always loved music, but as I started playing in the band and started playing at bars, I was like, man, this is awesome. Like this is like I just love still to this day. Like I've been quote unquote in the music business for 14 years now. I love just drawing emotion from people, whether they love it, whether they hate it, whether they laugh, whether they cry. I just love that moment of seeing someone react to something that you came up with. That's the best part of it. Right. Rather than just like stone face, just sitting there. Yeah. The Nashville nod. Have you ever heard of that? No. It's like when you go to a Nashville show and it's full of nothing but like industry people, their arms are always crossed. Like the suits. Yeah. And they're just standing there and they just give you like the head nod. Like if it's good or they're just looking at their buddy and they're like. That thing drives me fucking crazy, dude. Like, if it's good, clap your hands. Like, it's not that hard. So, right. But it's just, that's the town we live in, man. Thanks. What are you so, going to do? It is an interesting time. I, I want to get to a couple things about that. But at, at what point were you like, hey, I actually want to go to Nashville. Like, I want to, like, chase this passion, this dream. Like, at what point did you say, I need to move to Nashville? Like, what was that like? Yeah. So, I think... uh Man, I think it was like when I was like 19, maybe 20, because I moved here when I was 22. So when I was like 19 in the summers, if I wasn't in college, I would go back home and I would work for this guy named Rick Lambert. He ran Lambert's Lawn Care. And I would just ride mowers and mow yards all day, every day. And I listened to this record called Try Not to Listen. It's Wade Bowen and West 84. So now it's just Wade Bowen. But it used to be Wade Bowen and West 84. And um, dude, I listened to this record. A thousand times. Had to be. I could tell you every hi-hat hit on this damn record. Like, I know this thing literally better than the back of my hand. And I just remember, like, sitting there on that damn mower, mowing every you, you yard. You have nothing but your own thoughts at that yeah. time, right? Yeah, and you're just yeah. like, I'm sitting there, yeah. and I'm, like, sweating my ass off. It's 110 degrees in the summer in Texas, and I'm just listening to Wade Bowen. And I remember just thinking, I don't know what exactly I'm feeling right now, but I'm this. This is it just makes me feel good. Like, I just love this yeah. record, and I want to try to do this. And that's when I got kind of serious about, like, writing songs. Like, I would sit on a mower all day. I'd listen to that record because it's the only record that went in my CD player because I didn't even have an iPod at the time. Oh, that's... That you was... know what I mean? It was like CD player. It was like 2008 kind of thing. Like, it was like iPods are just now coming to thing. I didn't have enough money because I was mowing yards for a living. So, and, I was like... And, and you, if you're buying a CD, you had to yeah. listen to every song or you had to enjoy every yeah. song. Like, like, you, you wanted it, to go not to Not just skip. No. Like, you know what I mean? And so, uh, man, I just, like... I got like enamored with writing songs. Like I would go home and I would write a song and I'd go play it for my mom that night. And she'd be like, and my mom was very supportive, but she was very honest. Hey, this is really, really good. Like second verse, you kind of got off topic because my mom is such a fan of country music and country radio. She loves a good story song. Like she's still to this day. She did today. She'll send me songs from like the eighties and she's like, just listen to the story. And, like, she's always been just, like, infatuated with music, which helped me a lot, um, which was great. You know, she would she would send me stuff, and she would be like, hey, this is where you're going with this. You know, you need to go this way instead. And my granddad, her or my great-granddad, her granddad was a published poet. So he was always really good with words, so she would let me read his poetry. And it just kind of, like, it was like a perfect storm, man. It was like, I'm a big believer in, like, fate and synchronicity and kind of being right where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. And I feel like I was just... I was just kind of put on this earth to write songs. Like, that's just kind of what I, that's what I love to do. And, you know, the old 
If you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. I get to wake up every day, kiss my wife, go kiss my little baby girl, go have a cup of coffee, and literally make shit up. Like, I get to make shit up every day, and I get paid for it. It's wild. But at the same time, like, that that is, like, a, a level of vulnerability, and, like, most jobs you need to, let's say, for instance, you have a target, you're going to, you know, I'm going to sell X amount of dollars, or I'm going to... Like, it's very, like, your objectives are clearly defined. But, like, if you're writing a song, you could you could play it for me, and I'd be like, nah, I think it sucks. Yeah. And to you, you're like, no, like, that means a lot to me. Yeah. No, and, like, and the, it's different the, for everyone. Exactly. The, the criticism thing. and, like, just, like, the honesty. And I know, like, everybody, like, the American Idol people and, like, the, the <laughs> voice and all these damn TV shows. I've never watched the TV shows just because I feel like it's very Hollywood. But they're always, like, be be completely honest. Be blatantly honest with me. And they're like, and then when they are, they're like, it's not that bad. Like, they're just being an asshole. They're having a bad day. And it's like, don't ask me to be honest with you if you can't handle it, essentially. And that's kind of what I love about it. My wife is the, she is my demographic. Like, she's 30 years old. She loves country music. She listens to music all day, every day because she works from home. She listens to music when she works out, when she's in the car, when she's working, like anything she's doing. And it's like, that's the girl that I need to let my music talk to because I've, I've realized this, man. Like when I was in a band, you, you love selling tickets to the 18 to 25 crowd. Like those are good ticket sales. Like there's the kids sure. that are excited. But the 30-year-old girl, the woman that's coming to your show, she's got a job. So she can buy a hoodie. She can buy the CD. She can buy the stickers. She can buy the koozie. She can pay $20 for a ticket, but then $100 in merch. That's the girl that you want to write the songs for. Nothing against these 20-year-olds, because I was one. Oh, yes. But, yeah. like, I was telling you earlier, I'm going to watch Brooks and Dunn in Chicago this weekend. And I'm sure we're going to, you know, we paid $100 for the tickets, right. $100 a piece, and then we're going to go and spend $200 on merch. Like, we'll get hoodies, we'll get shirts, we'll get CDs, like old school stuff. Absolutely. Just because, like, we're at the age now where you we can, can afford to do can. that stuff. Exactly. Like when you're 20 years old, like you're lucky to get in the damn show. You don't have money for beer. You're pre-gaming. You're, pre- you're pre-gaming yeah. and you're like, all right, I'm hammered. Let's go to this show and then get back to the house so I can drink more because I can't afford a $7 beer at this concert. Yeah. But you're 30-year-olds. Dude, I would kill for a $7 beer sometimes though. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude. But like these 30-year-olds, that's your demographic, man, as an artist. Like that's, to me, those are the tickets you want to sell because the back-end money that you're going to make on them. Sure. That's, so every time I come home, I play her my songs. Hey, here's what I wrote today. And I can always tell if she loves it or if she's just like, eh, you know what I mean? And that's yeah. when I'll tell my co-writers, like, I have my buddy Neil Medley, who I write with. Every time I go home after I write with him, he goes, yo, dude, what'd your wife think? Because he knows that the first thing I do is I get home and I'm like, hey, just listen to this. Give me three minutes. Check this out. And there's sometimes where she freaks out and the song ends up, we demo it and then it all ends up getting cut. And I'm like, and then there's times where she's like, I don't know. I feel like you could do better. And it's like, okay, is this one kind of dead in the water? Let's see what the publishers think. But I always start with her. So, which I think cool. is, which I think is interesting because you do hear that from some artists or songwriters, like especially when they're when they're picking out the songs for the album, they they play it just at a nauseating all over and over and over, yeah. and they're like, whichever ones they don't get sick of is like, okay, like that's what's going to go on the album. That's which the is, single. Right. You know what I mean, yeah. So okay, you moved you moved to Nashville. 
10, ten years ago? Uh, yeah, nine Almost. and a half. 20, and a half. 2012. February of 2012. So coming up on 10. And Shit, you, dude. That makes me feel old. Damn. You know, as most people do, you found success right away, I assume? Yeah, yeah. Overnight. Literally yeah. moved to town and I had a record deal the next day. It was That's, awesome. Yeah, shit. I know. Um, man, I moved to town in February um, of 2012. And uh, first thing I did was get an apartment. Just like your place here. Sure. You know what I mean? Got an apartment and I was like, I actually moved here with a girl like from Texas that I met in college that I was dating in college. And I was like, we're going to move to Nashville and I'm going to make so much money. You're not even going to have to work. It's going to be so awesome. <laughs> and she was like, she, and smooth, of course she's very like, smooth. she's like, hell yeah, I'll move to Nashville and not work. So that's what she did. Clearly not she, your wife right now. No, not her, not her, not her. Not her. Uh, my wife's got a great job. I love you, babe. If you're listening. Um, no, uh, it was funny, man. Cause I moved here and after about eight months of being here, she was like, yo, I'm out. Like ex-girlfriend. She was like, I'm moving back to Texas. And I was like, okay. You kind of got, you understood. I was like, yeah. Sense. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm at the time I'm bartending. I'm waiting tables at Longhorn Steakhouse. I'm Murfreesboro Road. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And I'm like, and like you made like 80 bucks on lunch shifts and like 50 bucks on dinner shifts. And you were like, okay, well my rent's only 400. So if I work eight shifts, you know, I can cover my rent and you know, two shifts a week. And then I'll try to write songs and go to writers yeah. rounds and da-da-da-da. network and all network that. do all the shit. Yep. And uh, lucky enough, one of the ladies that was working at the restaurant with me was named Deb Cotton, amazing woman, and her husband was a guy named Gary Cotton. Well, Gary was a was a successful songwriter in the '90s and early 2000s. Um, he's since kind of retired and he lives out in Ashland City now, which is 40 uh, minutes out of town. And he lives a good life. Yeah, he's just yeah. kind of chills. Um, and. Uh, she came up to me and she was like, hey, I heard you're a singer. Because everybody in that fucking restaurant was a singer. She was like, I heard you're a singer. Um, do you have any like demos or work tapes I can listen to? And I'm like, yeah, why? Do you work for a label? And she's like, no, my husband is looking for like a new young country voice to sing his demos. And she'll trade you. He'll trade you. Like if you sing the demos, he'll let you record acoustic demos at his house in oh, our basement. Easy. I was like, shit, it's free recordings. I'm in, you know? Yeah. And so I start doing this and I start singing these songs. Um uh, at Gary's house and he started asking me who are you writing these songs with and I had met this guy Johnny McGuire um, my fourth month in town I'd moved here in February I met him in like that's quick May. oh Holy it was shit. wild I met him at the Commodore on West End there's a it's at the bottom of the Holiday Inn it's called the Commodore Grill and they used to have riders rounds like every Wednesday Debbie Champion is the lady's name she's been doing it for 20 years and they literally you sign up and they let you get up there and you play one song and then you network with the yeah, other songs. I guess I know what I'm doing. Exactly. That's your thing, dude. Just go hang out there. It's awesome. Um, and so I met Johnny. It was Johnny's fourth night in town. It was my fourth month in town. And so Gary asked me, this was probably eight months into me being in town. So four months into knowing Johnny. So this is probably, this is about October. This is about the time that my ex left me. Um, and I was getting ready for holidays. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be broken hearted on the holidays, dude. It's going to be sick. Um, and in walks Johnny. And in walks Johnny. And I'm like... This is the guy I'm spending Thanksgiving with. Hell yeah. Um, so Gary asked me, he goes, who are you writing these songs with? And I'm like, uh, this kid, Johnny McGuire, just moved to town from uh, Kansas City. And he's like, dude, bring him out here. I want to meet him too. I'm like, okay, cool. So I brought him out a few times, and we're recording these things, and I'm singing, and he's singing the harmonies, and we're both playing guitar, and we're recording this thing. And Gary goes, you guys should start a band. And I talk like that because Gary smokes about two packs of cigarettes a day. <laughs> he goes, you guys should start a band. And I'm like, no, nah, man, I just kind of want to write songs. Like, I don't, I, you know, I had a band in Texas. And he goes, no, no, you guys got the Nashville thing. You need to be a duo. 
and he goes, which, which is hard. Which, which is we can get, yeah, yeah. It's a whole. It's a, it's. I mean, it's a whole other monster. I mean, you're you're basically fighting for two people the whole time, and it's not just like self interest anymore. Like it be it becomes like a, a partnership, a business ship in every sense of the word. Yeah. Love Johnny. Still love him to this day. Um, but anyway, Gary, the best part of this whole story was we're sitting there one night at his table drinking whiskey, just like we are now. And uh, Gary goes, uh, man, I wish I wish y'all's last names fit together. But Walker, <laughs> Mac, is- Walker McIntyre sounds like shit. And Johnny looks at him and goes, Gary, my last <laughs> no, name is McGuire. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> We've known, Johnny's known this guy at this point for like four months. You know what I mean? He goes, Walker McIntyre just sounds like shit. And uh Which actually doesn't sound that bad no, at all. No, and Johnny goes, My last name's McGuire. And Gary goes, Oh shit, Walker McGuire? What that sounds badass, man. Y'all y'all are a band. We were like, Well shit, I guess we're, guess a, band. we're a band. And oh, uh shit. So dude, we start writing songs and we just keep writing and uh Gary had met this guy named Brian Carper from Baltimore, um, through this song online songwriting camp that Gary was kind of coaching. And uh, he introduced us to Brian. Brian introduced us to a guy named Trey Matthews, and we wrote a ton of songs. Till Tomorrow, like, um, oh, what's Smash her name? Like, like, just big I mean, songs honestly. that put us on the map. And yeah. uh, and uh, then we met John Doris, who ended up getting us meeting Mickey Cones, who was our producer, who introduced us to Benny Brown, who owned Broken Bow Records. So it was just like, like, this town, you know now, you've been here for a couple years, like, this town is just full of networking opportunities. Sure. You, when you sit down next to a guy at Red Door, you don't know who you're sitting next to. Just talk to him. No. This, it, this guy could run a label. You know what I mean? Or he could just be some asshole that works for the sanitation company. Like, But either way, he probably knows somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? So That's the thing, too, is like any – like if someone's – if you're at a bar on Broadway, off-Broadway at a restaurant, like there's a good chance whoever is serving you – Yeah is super talented exactly like it's ridiculous i always say that at listening room man i play listening room like once every six weeks and i always tell the crowd to make sure they're tipping the bartenders and waitresses because they're literally funding the next generation of songwriters right like that's just what it is because that's who i was that's who all my buddies were man like a bunch of my buddies like when you talk to them like like so who who was like your class like i don't want to steal like yeah no uh bobby bones always says like yeah the class who was your class yeah um I mean, obviously, I came up with Luke Combs. I, I wrote that song with him and Ray that changed everything for me. It was his second single. Um, Ray Fulcher, obviously one of my best friends, playing tomorrow night at the Exit Inn. If you want to go, I'm going. It's going to be awesome. Oh, dang. Um, dude, like James McNair, Thomas Archer, Cole Taylor, Travis Denning, Jordan Davis, Jacob Davis. Um, those are kind of the cats when I moved to town that were like new to town too. Like we're all kind of moved together in that 2011 to 2014 range. So I guess that would be kind of John Langston – those cats would be considered my quote unquote class. Yeah, so. and it's it's I think it's so interesting too because it's not anything like intentionally you set out and say, Oh, I need to be friends with XYZ. Like what I've seen or like understood is like it just comes natural. Like you're yeah. you're in these writers' rounds, you're drinking, yeah. probably getting drunk yeah. with the dudes that now are raising kids and like going on tour and stuff. It's funny, like, dude, because when I met it's so funny you say this because yesterday this happened. I met Cole Taylor in like 2015, maybe 16, and um, he was brand new to town. I was two years into town. We met, we drank beer, we went to like a concert together, and then yesterday I see him dropping off his sons at the daycare where I take my daughter. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> like, it's just like, and we're sitting there and we pull up, he pulls up in the parking lot and he goes, hey, what are you about to go do? 
And I go, uh, I don't know, I'm going to run some errands. I'm off today. He goes, you want to go have some breakfast? So we dropped off our kids and went and had breakfast together and just kind of caught up. Uh, but it's so funny, man, this town, like everything in life to me is cyclical. Like it's all in sure. cycles. You know what I mean? Everything kind of sure. works that way. But um, yeah, man, my class, we I, I got pretty lucky, dude. The guys I came up with, which I, I bet everybody would say that. But uh, I mean, Ray Fulcher was in my quote unquote class. He was also in my wedding. Like he's one of my best friends in the world. Um, and if he'll ever find a damn girlfriend, I'll probably be in his wedding. Um, <laughs> wow, that's a shot, shot fired. Shot, Ray, where wow. you at? Wow. But, um, no, man, there's, it's, it's cool, dude. When you, when you, when you do what I do and you get the right songs for a living, you, you get a lot of freedom and you get to get off work at every day, at like two thirty, three o'clock, get to go have a couple beers with your buddies. It's not like the typical after work beers where everybody's pissed off and cussing their boss. Stressing out. Like we get yeah. to go into tin roof and have a couple beers and a shot and just be like, dude, let me hear the one you wrote today. Oh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, yeah. you want to go float the river? Oh, you want to go dove hunting? Like, it's just like, it, there's a lot of camaraderie there. And I, I love, like, this business is different than any business I've ever been in. Not saying I've ever been in the corporate world, but I've got friends who have been in the corporate world, and they tell me, like, it's very dog-eat-dog. Dog. And this business, to me, man, it feels like everybody is pulling for everybody. You know what I mean? Like, when my buddies have a number one song, I'm posting about it. When I have a song come out, my buddies are sharing it. Like, there's not a lot of businesses out there to where there's a hundred people that have your back no matter what you do. Right. And that's, that's pretty special. And I think I'm not going to guess names. You don't have to name names, but if you are that person that is, is not just like a, a good ass person and that like support and like fan, like minor saying is you don't last in this town. Yeah. Like it's, it's over pretty quick. Like that's just, you stick out. Well, dude, really I, bad. I've always Tony Lane, one of my songwriting heroes, and I could quote him a hundred times. Um, we just got a Trace Atkins cut, which was awesome. But like, I could some of the stuff he tells me just in conversation, just in the writers' room, is just like so knowledgeable and just like inspiring. But he said one day we were writing, he goes, "Man, Nashville's a big, big, big city, but the music business is a very small town." And I was like, "Damn, that's like poetic as hell." Like, cause Nashville. When I moved to town in 2012, I mean, Nashville has almost doubled in size in 10 years. Like, it's just exploded. Like, at one point, there was, like, almost 200 people a day moving to Nashville. It's nuts, which is great. It's great for the city. There's always stuff to do. It's cool. Traffic sucks ass, but whatever. Um, Luckily, I don't go to work till 11 every day, so I miss rush hour. That's a good point. Um, I'll the fifth. Yeah, but, dude, it's just, like, you get to the point where no matter what you do, in the music business, word gets around so fast. I mean, the music business is, you know, 16th through 18th Avenue South. Like, those three blocks, those three those three streets are kind of where everything live and die, lives and dies. Like, if you say something bad about someone, word gets around. If you talk good, if you have a good song, it gets up and down the, the row. Like, sure. So, it's, uh, it's not one of those things where, like, it's corporate America where you can, you know, blind copy somebody and talk shit. But because, like, you're at the bar and the bartender that you're talking shit to just vamping is also roommates with this girl's guitar player who dates Keith Urban's manager. And now you're fucked. You're never getting a Keith Urban cut. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, That's like, kind of the thing. Like what you just said, I know probably sounds ridiculous, but it's real. It's not that far fetched. Yeah. No, no, totally. Uh, real quickly back on just Walker McGuire, that, yeah, yeah. that experience. What was like your, your takeaway from that? Like I, Clearly, you came to town. You wanted to to write songs. Yeah. So the band thing was uh, maybe a surprise, but like yeah, looking was, back on that, man, it was. I got really lucky. I've been I've been very blessed in this town, and I say that a million times over because I mean it. I met Johnny at the right time. We wrote a lot of songs that I loved, and uh, the timing just lined up where it was like bam, 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 bam. It was 
management deal, publishing deal, record deal, radio tour, single, 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 uh, stadium dates, 80,000 people at stagecoach. Like it was nuts, dude. And it was awesome. But I kind of woke up one day and I was, I got to the point where we were on the road, you know, Wednesday night, we'd leave at 10 o'clock, jump on the bus and wouldn't get back till Sunday night. And then you'd be home Monday, Tuesday, do laundry, kiss your girlfriend. And you're probably still trying to like songwrite somewhere well, that's in what, that's, there too. That's what killed me was I would wake up on Monday and my manager or producer would be like, hey, you want to come write today? And I'd be like, no. It's the last thing you want to do. That's the last fucking mm-hmm. thing I want to do is pick up a guitar. And that's kind of was my breaking point where I was like, my biggest passion in the world is writing songs and I don't want to do that. Like I have every opportunity to walk in with some of the best songwriters in the world right now. And I'm saying no because I just want to sit on my ass and catch my breath. And that kind of made me go... Yeah, I talked to Johnny, talked to Mickey, who was our manager and producer, and I said, I just don't love it anymore. Like, I just didn't love being on the road anymore. Um, it was an amazing experience. I wouldn't take back anything. I got to see the world, man. I, you know, we, I saw only state we, only two states we didn't play in were Hawaii and Alaska. So, like, Damn. I've seen Alaska. I still haven't been to Hawaii. I was supposed to go, but COVID fucked me. But anyway, uh, side Stupid note, that's COVID. a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> um, but dude, it's just like. Um, that, that band and that group and the group of guys we travel with, it, it gave me so much purpose, like early on in my Nashville days. Like I was like, dude, I'm in a band and we have a record deal and like people want to write songs with us. And it was just like so cool. But then it's just like anything, man, you, you, it kind of burns out like fires burn out. It's just what it is. Some of them last longer than, than others. And, uh, I still love Johnny. Um, he just got engaged to Emily Landis, who's a phenomenal songwriter herself. She's had number one, right? She's had number one, Gabby Barrett. Yeah. Yeah. So she's awesome. I actually, I actually introduced him in Key West. It was amazing. Well, we wrote a song together and then I told Emily, Johnny thought she was hot. And then I walked away and I was like, good luck, Johnny. That's a great move. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I was like, Emily, do you still have a boyfriend? She was like, no. And I was like, oh, Johnny thinks you're hot. And I just dipped. (laughs) But it was funny, man. Like it was, uh, I mean, I was on the road full time. From about 2014 until 2018. So, I mean, four years. And when I say full-time, I mean like 200 to 250 dates a year. Like, it was like nonstop. Everywhere from Seattle to Key West. Like, But you guys had a really good fan base. And, like, yeah, I'm trying we to remember. still do, man. My, 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 uh. I was looking at your Spotify stuff. Dude, it's like, like 400,000 like monthly listeners or something. My yeah. drummer, my old drummer sent me that. And it's, we just had some Mysteries uh, of the World was a song we wrote with Chris Dubois and Brent Anderson that never went to radio. And I just found out that it's like a gold single. Like it's been bought half a million times and it never went to radio. So like the Walker McGuire like fan base was awesome. And I, I would never say anything bad about our fans. We had a great, great fan base. But I just kind of, man, I woke up one day and I, I was, trying to get I, I just got engaged to my now wife and we were trying so to things start yeah yeah your, got, your interest in yeah exactly priorities. my, my yeah. life started to line up and we were trying to buy a house and um I was just like I want to settle down I want to have a family I want to be I want to be able to write songs every day and then come home and have dinner with my wife like that was that to me that is the pinnacle like if I get to wake up every day and go down to music row write a song, have a couple coffees with my buddies, have some beers afterwards, go home, grill some burgers, sit down on my couch, feed my baby girl, and kiss my wife goodnight. Bro, Nothing that is living to me. Mm-hmm. Now, this town is, it's got 
two different kind of people. There's that kind of person, which is what I am. And then there's the person who absolutely lives and dies for the road. Like, there are people out there, I'm not going to say names, but I've had conversations with them, that they're like, bro, I want to write songs with you, and then I want to go out and I want to perform those songs for 20, 30, 40,000 people. And I want you to stand side stage and watch them. And why? I'm like, why? And I'm like, why Why are you so in love with the road? And they're like, well, I like ri- I like being on the road and being on stage more than I do writing songs. And I'm like, I'm just the opposite. But that's what's great about this town is those two people meet. You need both. And they become best friends. And you that that's kind of how this town survives. Is like you look at a guy like Dean Dillon. Okay. One of the one of the best, if not the best song our Nashville's ever seen. He kind of got burned out on the road, lost a record deal, and all these songs that he was writing, he found some young kid named George Strait. And he was like, Hey, do you want to sing these? And he's had like thirty something number ones on George. It's crazy. And it's just like that is perfect. Like that right there, like the Dallas Davidson Luke Bryan thing. Like Luke Brown was rocking him and Dallas are Georgia boys they met and now Luke Dallas had like twenty number ones. Like Ray Fulcher, Luke Combs, like in the modern times. Like you find your person. You find your person, you find your people, and it's just like and I hate the word I hate the term coattails, but like you find a big artist or a good artist that wants to record songs and write songs that you wrote, bro, cling tight to the coattails. And just because it's life changing. Like writing songs and having a hit song is life changing money. Like especially a lot of the guys in, in this town are small town guys that grew up listening to country radio, driving a shitty old, you know, third hand yeah, me down truck. They're not Mr. Hollywood types. 100%. Yeah. And then so, you know, you have a number one song, which I was lucky enough to have one with Ray and Luke. It is 100% life changing. Like, bought the ring, bought the house, paid for the wedding, student loan debt, took it all. Like, it, it actually blew my mind. Like, I was like, holy shit. And like this is real life. This like, is you, you this is actually... my what this is mine. What yeah. the what? Because I remember in like 2013, I had a buddy that was working at Station Inn in the Gulch, and he's like, "Yo, dude, you need to come down and watch uh, Kendall Marvel's putting on a round with uh, Leanne Rhymes and Chris Stapleton." And I was like, "Okay, cool." So I go down there, and Stapleton was like clean shaven, didn't have like the long hair yet. <laughs> Jesus. And he goes, "I want to thank Kenny Chesney for cutting this song because it changed my life, bought me a house, and he played Never Wanted Nothing Never. More." And I was like, this guy's so full of shit, man. This song didn't buy a damn house. And then I wrote a number one, and I was like, holy he shit, this song bought a house. <laughs> he bought a house. <laughs> like, it's it's crazy. But like like I said, dude, the, the Walker McGuire days really shaped me. It really showed me. I got so lucky because I got to be on stage so many times that I got to see what crowds react to. And like what the girls love, what the guys love, what the moms love, what the dads love, what the little kids love. Like, you get to see it all. So when you when I walk in a writer's room, I kind of have that knowledge. And if you notice, there's a lot of writers in town that are very successful now that had artist careers previous. Like, there's just guys who, like, they've been on the road and they've seen it. Like Josh Thompson right now. Like Josh Thompson, dude, oh, yeah. he's like one of my favorite artists that Nashville's ever put out, more or less songwriters now. Like, he just, he gets it, dude. He just knows what, like, Red Akins. Like, check out what he's fucking doing, man. It's ridiculous. Like, you get that knowledge of being on the road and you see what crowds react to. So when you're in the writer's room, you're like, dude, I picture myself playing this for 20,000 people. What do I want to say? Cause if I want to say it, then maybe Luke Brown wants to say it. And maybe that's how we get the song to him, you know? Yeah. So that's the Walker McGuire days really helped me a lot, but, and I still love all those guys that still talk to the band. We still have a group chat going. Um, it was a great time, but it was just kind of one of those things, man, where I woke up and I was like, I want to write songs. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to buy a house. And I just want to be able to do shit like this. 
You know what I mean? And I want to enjoy it because if you had asked me to do this five years ago, I'd probably be like, dude, fuck it. I can't do it. Yeah, like, you'd be I, like, I want, I have to, it's my one day off. You have 50 days a year. And exactly. You're like, I'm no. like, dude, no, I'm not going to come sit on your couch and watch right. the damn Padres and Giants and talk to you on a MacBook. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's just real. Yeah. Because I wouldn't, I just wouldn't have done it. So, like, it gives me a chance to do stuff like this. So. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, we'll wrap up here in a couple of minutes. Don't want to keep you too long, but I do want to get to Dude, my you. wife and baby are in bed. We're good. I'll drink whiskey with you all night. It's going to be a 10 hour podcast. This could be bad. <laughs> This could be Hang bad. Hang on tight, y'all. You good? I'm good. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. I want to get to some of the songs. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I want to start with the one that, like, obviously the one everyone knows you for, One Night Stand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Colby Cooper. <laughs> that was, uh, I forget. Uh, so I had my, my, <laughs> my sister was visiting and, like, two of her friends were visiting. We were at the listening room. And I yeah. think it was, I think it was, like, you and Jacob Davis and... Maybe Adam, Adam Craig. Yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorites. And it, it came around. You guys are like, how many, you know, how many, how many songs left? we got left? I think it was like two. And you guys are like, oh, shit, we got to figure out two more. And you're like, well, here it is. <laughs> and I heard it. And I'm like, this, it's just amazing. Like, it's just Dude. so funny. It's, but it's so clever, though, too. And that's Yeah, that was, uh, that was me and Trent Summer, man. Trent, uh, he used to have his own band. And uh, Trent wrote, love you, love this town, that Jack Ingram song. And then he also wrote, uh, the David Nell thing, the everything we will be all right if I could kiss David you Nell, tonight. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, Trent was great. He lives out in California now with his wife. Um, still just one of my, one of my good buddies. But, um, I was, uh, <laughs> I was driving home one night from Pittsburgh with my wife and I have on this, um, she had fallen asleep cause she falls asleep every time we go anywhere. And, uh, I had uh, I had turned on this EDM station, electronic dance God. music, you know, and this guy was like, I don't want to be yo forever man, but I don't want to be a one night stand. And I remember just like, for some reason, I was like, why is he talking about a fucking nightstand? You were just into like that. I mindset. was like, yeah. it was 3 a.m. I was like half asleep driving down 65, like just trying not to fall asleep. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. He's talking about like hooking up and never talking again. And, and you're, you're being like the the. The gentleman you yeah. are, you're like, yeah, it's a piece of furniture. It's a piece of furniture. You have never done that. You know, what is that? And, uh, but then, like, I started thinking about it, and I was like, dude, how funny would it be if you wrote a song called One Night Stand, literally about one night stand? And uh, we wrote this song, and uh, Trent's publisher at the time sent the work tape, which is just me playing an acoustic guitar on my iPhone. Oh, my God. And she sent it to Dirks Bentley, and Dirks Bentley's camp loved it, okay? They were like, that's a great, oh, it's perfect yeah. pitched. Yeah. But then he cut drunk on a plane. Mm. And, and, that, was like, and that was the, he was like, well, you're not doing a comedy record, so I can't put out two mm. of these songs. Well, then the next record, Dirks puts it on hold again. And we were like, dude, we're going to get a Dirks cut, right? And then he doesn't cut it. So this song just sat for four years. So how much do you hate Dirks? Oh, dude, I'm such a Dirks fan. I was like, I was just excited that he even heard a song I wrote, you know? Yeah. Um, But dude, I was sitting there. And I was like, this song will never get cut. But I was playing it at listening room. I was playing it at rounds. And people are cackling, laughing at this thing. And uh, then I met Colby Cooper. And that was probably 2019, right after I walked away from Walker McGuire. And uh, I played the song for Colby. And he said, dude, if I ever get a record deal, I'm going to cut this song. And you hear that a lot. You got buddies that say shit like that. Sure. You know what I mean? It's just like any business, like the empty promises. It's like, hey, we should write sometime. Exactly. Like that shirt. Yo, we should write sometime. It's perfect. But then he got a record deal. And he was like, yo, I'm cutting this song. It's amazing. I was like, no shit. And so he did. 
Um, and he put it out, and the, his manager sends me videos all the time of people singing it, and they cut the shit out of it. It sounds great. So if you're listening, go check out Colby Cooper, One Night Stand. It's well, uh, it's pretty great. Well, I want to talk about, just as long as we're talking about Colby, because like, yeah. we were just talking before of like, Dallas, Dallas Davidson has his guy, you know, and Jason L, Jason Aldean, yeah, yeah. all these guys. And like, they kind of have their go-to. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't want to like put words in your mouth or like whatever, but I'm like, you seem to work really closely yeah. and really well with Colby. Like. Yeah, man. Uh, I was coming out of my, my last publishing deal over at Combustion, and Colby is now signed at Combustion, and okay. we met through them. Um, and uh, they were like, yo, there's this new Texas kid. We want you to meet him. His name's Colby Cooper. We think you guys would hit it off. And I was like, okay, cool. So I started looking at his music, and he had this song out at the time called It Ain't Me. you know. And I listened to it, and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like This is like raw, gritty. It's like... It's like cross Canadian. No filter. Yeah, no, like no filter. filter. It's down no. the fucking middle. Like yep. this kid's just gonna say what he wants to say. And I was like, How's this kid? Like 25, 26? And they're like, No, he's nineteen. And I was like, Oh shit, you know? And so I was like, Okay, cool. Well, I'll brainwash this kid and make him I, think I'm really good. Say, Let's yeah, do yeah, it. Terrible um, influence. Yeah. And uh then I met him and uh we started writing some songs, man, and uh you know, we started getting lucky in the room together, man. Like we started writing songs that both of us loved, that our publishers loved. That his management loved, and he started putting stuff out. Um, the first one he put out that I wrote was with him and Ray, called If I Still Had It. And it kind of blew up for him, and he was playing it out and, like, sending me videos. At Billy, I went to Billy Bob's in Fort Worth and watched him play it for, like, 4,000 people. And holy people shit. are singing every damn word, and I'm just like, holy shit. And I, it just kind of hit me one night. I was talking to my wife, and I was like, it makes so much sense that what I'm doing with Colby is working for me and for him. Because, A, he believes in it. The like, right. he's all in. right. But B, he's doing exactly what I wanted to do when I moved here. But when I moved here, everybody was like, you need to write the next cruise. Because cruise came out right when I moved to town. They're oh. like, you need to write bro country. You need to write cruise. Yeah, what was that time period like? Because oh, I- dude, for for me, honestly, it was it was like banging my head against the wall. Because sure. I mean, I, I did it. Don't get me wrong. Like I like I was like any published songwriter. Like I was chasing that. I was chasing radio. Yeah. But, but and there were only a few guys or acts that could yeah, could do it. That could do it, yeah. It was, yeah, FGL and uh, Sam Hunt, like that. Was yeah, yeah, it. that thing. Um, but I just kind of like I wanted to write, like I said, man. My mom, going back to my mom, the, the influences, the the real story songs, and that just wasn't what that era of. Now, luckily, those songs are coming back, which is incredible. But uh, that was kind of like it makes so much sense for me and Colby because a he's a great writer. He's a great entertainer. He's got a great band, and he's out there, and he's playing these badass shows, and he's doing exactly what I wanted to do, but I was a little bit too polished in my artist days. Like I was kind of just listening to the label. I was kind of being the puppet. Sure. And now he's just kind of like, no, fuck Screw it. Screw it. Like when we wrote Excuses with Brett Tyler, the that's line— That's f- such a great— Thanks, like, that's dude. My, that's my favorite Colby Cooper Yeah, song, thank you, yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, the line in the chorus is about, you know, just some bullshit that you said. Um, the label was like, yo, can you say just some BS? And Colby goes, no. Straight and I was down. like, fuck yes, dude. Like, yeah. this is a guy I want to get behind. Like, we wrote that song two words, dude. The hook is literally, fuck you. Like, and he put it out. He didn't get, he doesn't care. And no. like, he's just, he's speaking to people just like him. He's like, I want people that are like-minded to listen to my music. And I'm not putting the words in his mouth, but that's kind of what the vibe I'm getting from him. And that's why I bought all in, man. I love this kid. He's actually in town this week. We're supposed to write. Um, he's just, he's just a badass. Like sure. he's just, I'm completely on the train, 
I'm on board, man. Uh, he's going to be a freaking superstar. Like, when he grabs a guitar and sings, it cuts a damn room in half. And I'm so lucky to be on this train with him. We've written some some of my favorite songs I've ever been part of. So, uh, luckily, yeah, man, he's he's cut a bunch of songs and cut a bunch of my songs, which are awesome. I keep telling him that the only good songs he writes are with me. So Well, you got to You got to keep that pressure <laughs> on him. Keep the pressure on him. No, yeah. he's good, man. He's a uh, kid's going to be a star He's if he's not already. Uh, one other like rising artist that I think it seems like you've worked a little bit with him more recently too, that and Colby put out a, an album or an EP recently, but Jordan Rowe just put out oh, yeah. something and it's like you said, we had the FGL days, which right or wrong, that it, it had its place for a little bit. For but sure. like, Dude, it, it, it was great for the, the Nashville live show and sure. for country music. Like it brought a lot of the pop fans. And it built Broadway bars. 100%. It built a shit ton of bars down <laughs> yes. there. So, uh, But Jordan Rowe, like, the, his EP put out, I'm like, this is kind of in the mold of even Colby or, like, Combs and, like, Wallen. Like, some of you, like, yeah. it's the, we're kind of getting back to that we like the 90s country, the 2000s country. We still have, like, that modern take on it, but he's he's quickly becoming, like, one of my favorite. Dude, he's awesome. Just, Everything is on repeat. He, uh, like, you, you know, as a as a guy who's just a full time songwriter now, I'll speak for a lot of songwriters where whenever new artists come to town and they want to write with you, the number one thing that you want them to do is know what they want to say. Like, don't walk in a room and write a song on me and just be like, do whatever you think. Like, that becomes very uninspirational. You know what I mean? It becomes very like. It, that's when songs become stock and you write the same shit over and over and over because it's one guy giving the whole lyric. Like if you're the new artist and I'm the the veteran songwriter, quote unquote, and you're telling me, bro, what do you think? Like at some point, just tell me, I don't know where you came from. I don't know right. who you're, what your mom and dad, I don't know what you drive. Like give me something that, that you're going to relate to that you're going to want to sing every night on stage. Jordan Rowe knows what he wants Does to he? say, which is fucking awesome. I'm such a fan of that kid, man. Uh, I just went on a dove hunt with him last week. We didn't see it. We saw two dove, and they were about 100 yards away, but we drank a shit ton of beer. That's all that um, matters sometimes. Yeah. yeah. He, um, man, he's awesome. He's a great new young artist. Um, good writer. Really good writer, man. Like, he knows, like I said, I just, I'll go back to it 100 times. He knows what he wants to say, which is just so impressive for somebody his age. Um, That's the thing, too. It was like, there's, there's the song with Laney, and there's a song, yeah. I think, uh, with Ashlyn that you yeah, wrote, right? I wrote the, yeah, Who Needs You with Ashlyn, yeah. And I'm just like this, I don't even know how old he is. Like, I'm I'm yeah. 29, but like he's, yeah, he's younger. He's, younger. He's like 25, I think. But I'm like, man, this is this is shit like that you want to listen to. Deep stuff, but yeah. it's like, it's cool at the same time. And that, yeah. that's the thing, I'm like, it's just super impressive. Yeah, the thing I love about that project he put out was he's got, you know, Can't in a Car, and he's got, uh, and then he's got Mama Ain't Jesus. And it's like... <sighs> Yeah. It it covers every spectrum, man. He's got the he's got the heartbreak song, the Who Needs You thing. Um, dude, he's got, you know, we had a ball that I wrote with him and Jacob Davis about just like the nostalgia of being a kid. Yes. Being young love. Like he he really hit on that EP on every cylinder. Like he went fun, honky tonkin', ten four kind of thing, yeah. all the way to Mama Ain't Jesus, which is like the power ballad with Laney singing behind him. He's a uh, He's another one of those guys, man. I, I've I've been lucky enough to to get in the room with him a lot, write a lot of songs with him, drank a lot of beer with him, didn't shoot a damn dove with him. But we uh, he's become a good friend. He actually lives with Ray right now, so I get to see him all the time when I'm over at Ray's house. It seems like a good influence to live yeah, with. Yeah, hell yeah, man. He's awesome. All right, so speaking of Ray, we'll, we'll get to. I know I was being like facetious with we the don't one have night to talk stand. About Ray, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we don't. Uh, 
Ray's just like the, the townie, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. All right, so Ray's like that one drunk at the end of the bar that everybody knows, but nobody wants to hang out with. I feel like I, I've never met him. I don't. I did. I've I've seen him in a couple rounds, yeah. but he seems like the guy. You like clearly he's had a lot of success, but which would be the case with any of my friends too. Like you just roast the absolute shit oh, out of I him. Have to. I have to. Money bags, Ray. Ray dude, a payday yeah, Ray. Dude. Payday Ray. Dude, he. So. I'll just I'll start by saying this before I start talking shit. This Ray gonna be Fulcher, a twenty minute roast. Ray Fulcher is the nicest guy in Nashville, no doubt about it. You ask anybody that's really? ever come across him, he is the nicest guy in Nashville. Now, with that being said, fuck Ray Fulcher. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, no, Ray is uh no he's he's one of my best friends, man. He he uh I'd do anything for that guy. He uh we met actually <laughs> through an Instagram DM. He had so D- who sent the DM? Ray did. He sent me a DM. Do you remind him of that? Oh, yeah, all the time. I'm like, bro, you were such a fan of me. Um, but he hit me up and was like, yo, dude, I like, you know, this was early Walker McGuire, like 2014, 2015. He was like, yo, I love the Walker McGuire stuff. I'd love to get together and write a song. Um, so I got together with him and my buddy Brian Carper that wrote Till Tomorrow with us and The Color Pink with us. Um, oh, yeah. And they called me Doc. Like, we wrote great songs with Brian. And... uh just man, me and Ray kind of hit it off like right from the jump. Like he's just a he's just a good old boy, man. He I mean only, he he likes the Georgia Bulldogs, which is stupid, but everything else about him, he's got a great smile, got a nice little tight ass, and them wrangled jeans. He looks good, you know what I mean? But uh, he just wow, signed a what record. What a sales pitch! Come on, man. I'm, I should be his I should be his agent. You should. I should. This is bullshit. I should call him right now. Like why why isn't that on a, like a, a billboard on sixty five yeah. going? Great into smile, town? tight ass. At Ray Fulcher, hit me up. Yeah, like when all, for all, all the, your festival dates. Yes, <laughs> like all the like the new music like Friday stuff, like all the artists posing yeah. on uh, on Broadway that, that one there. I, oh man, pull some funds together. Come on, man, crazy. dude, he's got the money. He could totally do it. No, but uh, sure. he's a uh, dude. I'm I'm so happy for him, and he's one of those guys that no matter how much success he has or whatnot, he he acts just the same. He's a uh, He's just a phenomenal dude, man, and I'm so happy for him. He's had four number ones with Luke now, and he just signed a record deal over at Black River. So he's got his own single on country radio he's now. Got good stuff too. It's good. It's called yeah. Girl in It. Um, I've got a song coming out on on Friday called uh, Damn If It Didn't Hurt. Me, him, and Drew Parker wrote that. Oh, Drew's good. So Drew's too. great. Um, but uh, no, dude, I would I would do anything for that cat. We try to meet for breakfast at least once a month at Cracker Barrel. I always give him shit because he's always late, and he lives closer to the Cracker Barrel than I do. Of course, and he's just yep. he's just a big timer. You know what I mean? That's what I call him. I'm like, dude, you're just you're it's just Hollywood too big. Yeah, yeah, you're just too big sure. time now. You know what I mean? Like, he's got a tailor that's making sure his jeans hug his nuts just right. Like, it's just <laughs> oh who he is. You know what I mean? So, no, I love him. He's a good dude. But once again, fuck him. Fair. That's that's a great <laughs> that's a great way to honor a friend. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's like the ultimate compliment. Like, dude, fuck it is. You, dude. You yeah, if, if you're being too nice, like. Yeah. What's not a good? Do you buddy. not like me anymore? Like, yeah, well, like, and I've always had the mindset that if you're too nice to your friends, you're probably talking shit behind their backs. So you might as well just right. talk shit to them in their, to their face. Yeah, I mean, my group chat is ruthless sometimes. Oh, it's brutal. Even it I'm like, sometimes, I mean, I, I will admit, sometimes I do get salty, and I'm like, dude, like, can we just like, can you just like keep one or two things off limits? <laughs> just lay off this right. thing. Like, no, but like, dudes being dudes, man. Like, it's yeah. like, love you, buddy, walking away, and then you punch them in the back as they leave like yeah. it's just dudes being dudes totally you know I mean? what are you gonna do um all right so talk about the luke Combs song and like yeah. that that whole moment because like like you said could not just career changing but life changing yeah um so i 
you know, did you know in the moment when you were writing it, like, oh, we have something here? Or was it, like, at what point did you say, oh, shit, like, this is serious? Like, Dude, I'm going to be honest with you. The day we wrote it, we wrote it on, uh, I was living with Andy Albert, who is a phenomenal songwriter in town. Great songwriter. One of my favorites. Um, I lived with him. Um, and Luke and Ray, Luke and I, Ray DM me. Don't forget that, Ray, if you're listening. And then he introduced me to Luke. And uh, the first time I met Luke was at the bar at Losers, of course, that night, the night before. And he was like, yeah, what are y'all doing tomorrow? And Ray and I were like, I don't know why. And he was like, y'all want to write a song? And we're like, hell yeah, man, let's write one tomorrow. Y'all can just meet at my house. I live over here on Hey, let's wait sometime. Yeah, let's write. It's yeah. that thing, you know. But luckily it was the next day. And uh, we met at my place on 14th. Luke walks in, Ray walks in, and my buddy, my roommate at the time, Andy Albert, was in the back. Well, we start talking about song ideas, and Luke goes, uh, I got this thing, dude, it's called When It Rains It Pours. You know, it's like the old saying, when it rains it pours. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I was like, what's your thought on that? And he was like, man, I just want to write like a heartbreak song. Like, like I, she broke up with me, and I walk outside, and it was raining. Like, I guess when it rains, it pours. And I was like, damn, man, that's depressing. Like, that's just. And it's been done. Yeah. Like, that idea of, like, oh, my dog ran off. My old lady left me in my truck. I'm starving. My gun won't fire. That thing. And I was like, what if we wrote it like a Brad Paisley song? Like, what if we wrote it like, I'm going to miss her? You know what I mean? Like, she's going to leave if I go fishing again. Well, I'm going to miss her. What if we do that? Yeah. And they were like, what are you thinking? And I just kind of, like spitballed this course idea like what if we did this 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 like and the first verse the first course came out and it was like you know i pawned the ring for some new boat parts and like i used our netflix nights for guys nights and cards like it was like that was kind of the original thought of like how do we do this but it's the idea yeah it's right. the idea it's, yeah, of like yeah. i took a negative and i made it a good thing yeah and uh then luke grabs a guitar and he sits there and i go so what happened he goes well I came home late Saturday night, dude, and she was just, she was pissed off. She was pissed off. And I was like, what if we start the song like that? Like, Saturday night, man, she was pissed off. And Luke was like, well, I guess essentially it was actually Sunday morning. Sunday and morning. Sunday morning, man, she woke up. You can't say pissed off. Radio would hate it. So Fighting Mad came out. And then I swear the song fell out in like an hour. And, an hour. Uh, yeah, and so about after, halfway through the first verse, I walked back to the studio room in our little house, mine and Andy's. I go, dude, you need to come write this song with us. This fucking guy, Luke Combs, he's a singer. Yeah, you want to be on this cut. And Andy was like, man, I got to work on some demos. Y'all go ahead. No. Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. And I still give him shit about it. I gave him shit at the number one party. I said, dude, I want to give a last shout-out to Andy Albert because a three-way pays a lot more than a four-way. And Andy was like, fuck you, dude. It was so funny. That's like like the one person who doesn't go in on the the workplace lottery ticket. exactly. Like, you're not going to win. You're not going to win, and they win like $20 Jesus. So, uh, but Andy's had number one since, so he's fine. But, uh, dude, I'm going to be honest with you. The day we wrote it, I've got the work tape. I'll send it to you. Like, the day we wrote dude, it, love to hear it, it wasn't what it is now. Like, we did some fixing and stuff. But, like, we always loved the idea. We always thought the idea was good. But we didn't love how we wrote it. Like, we didn't love the details necessarily. And uh, I thought it was honestly just another song, dude. I really? You can ask Ray and Luke. Like, we didn't know what we had. Were you hoping, like, hey, I hope... Did you know it was going to be on a Luke record? No. so or... Luke didn't have a record deal. Hurricane wasn't out, nothing. Like, oh, this was right. early on. Hurricane, that's right. Hurricane yeah, was yeah. the first single, you know? And so... 
um, on the day we got back together to kind of rehash the course idea and got back to the 100 bucks on the scratch off ticket, that was the line that made us go like, okay, how do we get to this gas station? And then we went back to the, went for a drive to clear my mind, ended up at a shell on I-65. And it, I mean, you obviously heard the song, but it's like, it all just kind of became this like one long, oh, she left me and now life's great. Right. And like, once we did that and then he went to cut the record, he was like, hey, I'm going to cut this when it rains, it pours thing. Um, and we were like, oh, are you going to like, when are you going to put it out? And he goes, I've got this other song I'm going to put out called Hurricane. And then after Hurricane... I think we're going to put out When It Rains It Pours. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. You know, it's a new artist. He was unsigned. None of us had publishing deals at the time. Oh, so he puts out Hurricane. Had you you heard Hurricane before that? No. So then, and then he puts out Hurricane and fucking kaboom, dude. And I just remember seeing a video of him at Tortuga Mm. in Fort Lauderdale playing on the beach and that guitar. And people losing their mind because the highway had spun the shit out of it. 30 Tigers, the promo company, had got behind it and pushed it to country radio. And it was already like top 30 country radio. And I remember just being like, damn. And he was unsigned up to this Unsigned. Point, right? Unsigned. Just sick. Yeah, which is good for him. Um, and uh, then the coolest thing happened, dude. In That was in 2016. Okay. Which seems like a long time ago. Seems like a long, but it's but not. It's, it's, it's fucking five years ago. It is wild. Like that was in 2016, maybe 20, maybe end of 2015, but I think it was 2016. And then um, in 2017, I remember being in Key West, and two weeks before that, Luke had put out the record because Hurricane was top ten at country radio. So give it a little boost. Give it a little boost. Yeah. Here's the record. Number one in a month. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, we were in Key West, and I was sitting there drinking with Ray at the Songwriter Festival. And uh, we're sitting at Sloppy Joe's. I'm about to play around, and um, Luke walks in, and he's like, hey, can I get three shots of tequila? The bartender, and three beers. And we're like, yeah, hell yeah, dude. It's Key West. We're having a good time. And Luke goes, cheers, boys. And we're like, cheers. And he goes, oh, I've got to tell you, I just met with 15 program directors from across the country. And 12 out of the 15 said that they would add When It Rains It Pours on Monday. So here's the When It Rains It Pours being the second single. On Monday? That's how he told me. That's, so, that's dirty. Yeah. That is dirty. And that's like, it wasn't that Monday that got added because Hurricane was only top three. But Hurricane went like two weeks later and was up there for like two weeks. And then like six weeks after that, like a month and a half after that, boom, we had a single on radio. And mind you, I had our single, Till Tomorrow, on radio. So I had two singles in the top 40 at the same time, which was awesome, man. It was great. It was right. life-changing. But that was in May. And then on my birthday in 2017, October 29th, was that six, five months later, I'm in Boise, Idaho at a radio show with Adam Craig. Uh-oh. And Uh-oh. I had the number two song in the country. And it was a Sunday night show. And the chart comes out every Monday, you know. And I'm not looking at the chart because Reigns is number two. And I'm like, I'm just not going to fucking look at it. If it goes number it's one. It's a little superstitious about God's it. got me. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. If it goes number one, cool. If it don't, cool. It's still life-changing. You had to have known though, right? <sighs> Man, I, f- I felt good about it. I'll just yeah. say that. And it was so funny because like for weeks leading up, me, Luke, and Ray had this group text going. And like that week, it was just like ghost. Like nobody wanted to <laughs> talk about really. it. Nobody wanted to fucking jinx it. Like it was like, we're not going to talk about this shit. Like it's just not a thing. We're going to act like we don't have the number two song in the country. And uh, 
I'm sitting there, and it was Jackson Mickelson. Awesome. And great. Yeah. And then it was Adam, and then it was us. And Adam got through playing, and we're in Boise, mind you, so it's mountain time. And we're going on at about 10, 10 15. And so it's already midnight on the East Coast. So the charts, so the come, charts out. come out. I have no idea. I'm not looking. I'm sitting there with my record rep, and I look over, and Adam comes off stage. I see my record rep tell him something, but I think she's just talking because we're on the same label. And I see Adam grab a bottle of whiskey, and he's pouring shots. And I'm like, hell yeah, we're going to do a shot before we go on. And nothing he, out of the ordinary. Nothing, completely normal. Like, sure. you literally do a shot before you go on stage. And uh, Adam goes, cheers, boys. Hope you all have a good set. Um, this has been a great night. And hey, man, congrats on having the number one song in the country. And I about shit my pants. Because as a songwriter, that's the pinnacle, man. Right. Like, it doesn't matter if you get one number one or 40. They call it ringing the bell. When you ring the bell and you get the number one, you are the king for the week. Like, it, it's your week. You have the you have the most played song on country radio that week. Which, like, how do you, like, wrap your head around that? It was, well, think about it. I took a shot of Jack Daniels and went on stage. Just so one? I was just like, well, I was yeah. already 10 in, probably. But, uh, man, it was just like, <laughs> so that night was uh, Halloween. Everybody was in costumes because it was late October. Oh, sure. And I we play our set. We play till tomorrow. And then Johnny looks at me and goes, we got to do Reigns. And I was like, all right, cool. And I go, hey, y'all, I just found out as of 30 minutes ago, this is the number one song in the country. So big shout out to da-da-da-da and this station and all these stations. And I'm in a, we're both in onesies, like Halloween Walmart onesies. Like I'm like a deer and he's like a fucking zebra, right? And we play the song and I unzip my onesie and I take it off and I'm in briefs and an undershirt and I whip around my head and throw it in the crowd. I was so drunk, so on top of the world. I got a video of that too. I'll send you Adam Craig videoed that. Um, and then I kind of come off stage, man. And it was still surreal. My then girlfriend, now wife had called me 20 times because she had seen seen, Luke and Ray had called me. Um, and man, it was just like, my publisher called me. Everybody was calling me, and it was just, it was, it was, it was an awesome moment. And it happened on my birthday, which was even cooler. Like you um, can't draw it up better. Can't, than that. can't, no. yeah. You know. And then I flew home the next morning, and Annie and I went to a John Bellion concert at Marathon Music Works, which was just like the icing on the cake. And then it just kind of, man, it just that was the life changing moment. That was whenever I got a call from from my rep at BMI, and they were like, "Hey, do you need anything?" I was like, what do you mean? They were like, do you do you need anything financially to, uh, like, are you in the hole? And I was like, I don't know. I'd really like to, like, buy this girl a ring. Like, I think I want to get married to like her. in advance? Yeah, like in advance. Yeah. And I was like, well, how much can you send me? And they were like, ah, oh, we could probably get you, like, 50 grand on Monday. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Why, why, why are you asking? Okay, cool. Send it. Drop it in. Yeah. And it was just like, uh, man, it was life changing. It it did so much for me, not only financially, which was cool, but also the respect you get amongst your peers whenever you do ring the bell, quote yeah. unquote. It's just like, it's. I didn't really think about it this way, but my uh, my mom made the point to me. She goes, for the rest of your life, no matter what you do or don't do, you're a number one songwriter for the rest of your life. Like they can put it on your damn headstone. Like you, yeah. it doesn't matter if you have this one. Or you have 30, you're a number one songwriter, which is like, that's a pretty select group, man. And it feels pretty cool. And I would add, and not just because you're sitting here, it's it's not one of those, and 
not that there are like a lot of forgettable number ones, but it's yeah. like that's a pretty well known. Yeah, Chris uh, Owen, my buddy out of Buffalo, he's a he's a uh, radio DJ up there. Dude, great, great Twitter follower. Love Chris Owen. He's, he's awesome. So good. Um, but he uh, he tweeted the other day and he said something to the extent of like. When It Rains, It Pours will be looked back as like one of the most influential songs of this generation of country music, which to us, we loved it, and it went number one, and it was a three-week number one, so it was like awesome, but I didn't really think of it that way, but it's one of those things, man. Luke plays it second in his set every night. Like he comes out and does his first song, and then he plays it second, and Ray sent me a video the other day when they were in Boone, North Carolina at, at The Rock at the App State oh, Stadium. That's his hometown, right? Bro, and yeah. he played this fucking thing, and there's 40,000 people singing every word. And it's just a feel-good song. It's the it's the middle finger in the air to the ex-girlfriend thing. Everybody can relate to some extent, right? And uh, it was a it was a special one, man. It's like it's so funny you say it like that because that's that's what Adam Craig says. He goes, "Yeah, you've only got one number one." He goes, "But it was a huge number one." Like there are number one songs. Like I couldn't even tell you what's number one right now this week. Is, I mean, it, is it time it's Rhett? Maybe country again? Maybe. Yep. See, that sounds right. That, could yeah, be something could around be. there. I think Lanny Wilson's too. Yeah, it's a great song. I think Chris, Chris, Chris Owen. That's only the reason. Yeah. I see, know. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Chris Owen, great follow. If you guys yeah. don't follow him, um, but uh, that was a big one, man. That one, well, think, that one changed the game for that. Luke, Luke had told Ray and I. He goes, "Hurricane put me on the map. When it rains, it pours." Changed my life. Right, because sometimes it's especially from the artist side, you get your get your number one hit, and then it's like. What can you do for me next? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they always say your second single is the most important one. You know what I mean? Like, not saying, excuse me, not saying getting the first one is easy, but like, if you get something like the iHeart on the Verge or the Cumulus big broadcast thing, like, you can get a number one. Like, you can work for it. But the second single, it's kind of like a, okay, now it's a game. Like, now, how much can you give us? So, yeah. Um, wrapping up here yeah. so recently your new your new dad so yeah, man. what is that like how have, how have you changed and like your perspective on everything like, it is the greatest thing i've ever done really no doubt about it man i've i i can't i can't talk and smile enough about that little girl so her name's adeline she's great she's four and a half months now um Dude, she's just great, man. Just everything about her. Like, when she wakes up, she's happy to see you. When you drop her off at daycare, she's happy to see her teachers. When you pick her up, she's, like, ecstatic because you're back. And, like, just everything about her, dude. She's finally, like, four and a half months now. The last month or so, she's really starting to catch on to, like, voices, faces. Like, she knows who we are. And she knows, like, I'm dad, Annie's mom. And, like, it excites the hell out of her to see us. And, like, when she smiles, it just melts you. And it's so funny because... As a guy, you'll see, man. As a guy, you always hear the old cliche of, like, you don't know love until you have a kid. Just wait till you have a kid. And as a guy, man, I mean, I don't know about you, but I was kind of like, yeah, okay, we'll see, you know? Like, yeah, we'll see, you know? And uh, I remember the doctor handed me Addie, and I just looked at her. And it, I've said this before, and it's so cliche, but it's so true. It felt like my life started over. Like, it's, I'm not even kidding. Like, it wow. felt like everything I had done for the previous 31 years was like a different you almost a practice swing for what is life now. Oh. Like, yeah, it, like a different me in the sense of like, I mean, we've all been there. Like, I was, I was selfish. I was very self centered. It was all about me. 
But now, like, even doing something like this, like, I, I texted you right before I came over. I was like, yo, dude, about to feed the baby, yeah, and sure. I'm on my way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, everything is second to her. Like, everything. And Annie, we were sitting there, and Annie was making dinner, and she was like, hey, there's a calendar on our fridge, kind of like this one here. And she was like, hey, I see you got that podcast at 7. And this was like 5.30. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, okay, if you want to leave, like, at 6.30 um, so you can get there on time. And I was like, I told him I'd be there around 7. I was like, he's cool. We're chill. I was like, I'll feed Addie. And she was like, well, she doesn't need to eat till like, 6.30. And You're I was like, like well, I'll feed, feed her, and then I'll bounce. And she was like, you don't have to. Like, I'm like, no. Like, I got it. Like, I want to do it. Don't you know what I mean? Me. Like, yeah. there's a – there's a we, we actually argue and fight over who gets to wake her up some mornings or from naps because oh, really? she gets so happy after a nap from waking up. So it's like – to walk in there and turn on the light and see her in her crib. And you're like, hey. And she looks at you and smiles. It's like the greatest smile every single time. So she's it's life-changing, man. It's uh, I feel like my wife and I are closer now. Obviously, like everybody from my family has come up and met her. Sure. We've been down to Texas with her. We've been up to Pittsburgh with her. She's just, man, it's just crazy. I feel like I'm glowing right now. I love you her. You are, yeah. She's, she's awesome, dude. She's, uh, like I said, dude, the old adage, just wait, man. You just, you just got to wait. Just because wait. And uh, my buddy Jacob Davis, he has three girls, and uh, he told me he was one of those guys. Because he has that one, and I don't know the name of it. He 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 sings it in his rounds. Oh, Backseat Driver. Yeah. I wrote that with him. So okay. him and I wrote okay. that one. Yeah. So, like, that song, is that now you're yeah, like? Yeah, that's very, that's that's it, man. Like, whenever I wrote that song with him, we weren't even expecting. I had no idea. And Jacob was like, I had the title, and I had the spin on it talking about having a kid in the back. And he was like, dude, we can write this, write the shit out of this. And uh, after we wrote it, he started playing it out. And I could tell it always hit him when he sang it. And I was just kind of like the guy that wrote it that was like, cool. It's a cool song. People like the song. They this react dude's to really it. soft. And this guy's a soft Yeah, yeah you yeah. know. But now that I have a daughter, like, she's not talking it, obviously. But, like, the song talks about her asking questions in the course. But, like, I can picture it now because I have the car seat holder in my truck. Like, you just got facial reactions. Yeah, man. It's just yeah. like we're – it is one of those things, man. When he told me, he goes, she's going to melt you, dude. He goes, it is going to be wrapped around her finger. Everything she wants, dude. And it, and it is that. Like, it's unbelievable, dude. All I want to do, like, this is, this is, okay, this is a great example. So I used to be the guy that came home, and if I got home at 3 o'clock and Annie had to work till 5, I would run upstairs and get on the PS4, and I would play Madden online, or I would do my created player. I, mean, I would that thing's pretty dusty myself. Yeah, yeah, I would do like Road to the Show, MLB. You know, I would do that shit. Game. Yeah, and that was just kind of who I was. I'd I'd grab a beer, I'd go upstairs, I play video games. But now it's like when I get home, if I'm home at three, I look at Annie. I was like, Hey, when can I go pick up Addie? She's like, You can go get her now. And I'm like, Boom, in the truck, like going yeah. to get her. And like she'll, my wife will text me every now and then at like one o'clock, and it'll just be a picture of Addie, and she was like, I just want to go pick her up. I'm like, you can. Like, you're allowed to go get her if you want. And yeah. it's just, it's life-changing, man. It's cool. I, I uh, The McConaughey thing in Green Lights where he was like, the only thing I ever wanted to be was a dad. I kind of heard that, and I kind of took it with a grain of salt. But, like, I don't care if I ever write a number one song again, man, as long as I get to raise this little girl and yeah. hang out. And if we have more kids, God willing, awesome. If we don't, this one's great. You're content. You know I mean? Yeah. So she's, uh, she's awesome, man. She's great. That's great. Well, I'm taking her to Lambo. 
taking the Lambo on Monday for the for the Lions game. And, and now she's going to be indoctrinated. Yeah. I mean, so and, Annie was like, I told her I, Annie wanted to take her to Heinz, and I was like, no, she's got to go Lambo first. And she, so she wore a Packers gear on Sunday. We got her ass beat, but she'll be in Packers I mean, gear on Monday. The the terrible towel is almost like a bib, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah. But the good thing about the terrible towel is like you can get that with green writing too, and it can be like the group C. You know what I mean? That's true. You got to think about it like yeah. that. No, but she gets to go to Lambo on Monday. I'm pretty excited about it. That's awesome. Uh well, thanks for chatting. My last yeah, question with you for you is, I guess, what is your favorite part? You know, I feel like we've talked about your, like some of your highlights of the last like, 10, 15 minutes, but just being in Nashville, being in country music, just all of that. Like, What is your like favorite part of just being immersed in all of it? Man, I think you just said it. I think just being able to say that I'm in it. You just know what be, I mean? Just being there. Just being in it, man. Like, I am a country music lover. I always have loved it, sing it. It's on the radio when I get in my truck right now to be on. You know what I mean? Like, and just knowing when I turn on the radio that either mine or one of my buddies' songs are probably going to come on, that just feels so badass. Yeah. Like, I, uh, I've i always said it, and I think I said it earlier. Like, if I get to wake up every day, have a cup of coffee, and go write a song that has a potential of being on the radio one day, bro, that's living the dream. And I get paid. I get paid a salary to do it. You know what I mean? Like, Life could be worse. Like, I could yeah. be digging ditches. I could be mowing yard for Lambert's Lawn Care sure, back home. Yeah. You know what I mean? I could be doing that. Yeah. But, like, I get to wake up every day, man. I, you know, get to wake up in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife, beautiful baby, drive a brand-new truck to a right, and write something that I believe in. And Lord willing, it gets cut, gets put on the radio, makes a little bit of money here and there. But uh, right now, man, I think the my biggest accomplishment so far is just being in it, just being able to say I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Because not a lot of, there was a, I saw a number like a couple months ago that said back in the nineties, there was like three to 4,000 published writers, which Holy is wild. Shit. And now it's like under 400. Yeah. And I'm one of them. And I have been one of them for like eight years, which is nuts. That's amazing. And so just to say that I'm one of the three to 400 guys in Nashville that do it full time. Um, that feels pretty good. It feels great. I've worked my ass off to be here, but I also know I'm super lucky and blessed to be here. So I think just being in it, man, you know? That's awesome. Great perspective. Well, thanks. Thanks for hanging. Yeah, dude. I appreciate you having me. Anytime. I'll come over here and drink whiskey and talk dude, shit with dude. you. Dude, yeah. Go get uh, the Packers a win, please. Come on, man. I'm going to be up there. Uh, last thing I'm going to say is fuck Ray Fulcher. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, thanks for listening, folks. <laughs> <laughs>